have? I got a story for you. It's about one bad bitch, y'all. Listen, listen. Anybody who gets attacked and mauled while volunteering in Africa by a lion. Then you go back to Africa just so you can face your fear while being naked? That's one bad bitch. But first, a word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. It's one of the coolest, dopest, hippest, most original website of all, for all, and all sorts of merch on the entire World Wide Web. That didn't come out nearly as dramatic as I wanted it to. Sorry. Andre is the proprietor and creator of everything you will see on your screen when you go to AndrePsyche.com. Let me give you a little audio insight as to what this website offers. Original arts, prints, podcasts, videos, music, clothing. Me, I'm still waiting on my pair of joggers, homie, but it's okay. Accessories and fine, fine literature. He has actually authored two separate books, both of which are available for digital download and hard copy. Space Between the Crescent Shadows is his poetry endeavor and expedition of the psyche is a journey into his minds and thoughts as he paints. I lean more towards the poetry because his mind is just too amazing to behold for me. But again, that's just me. You go for it. Go to andrepsyche.com before you check out. Be sure to message Andre for a special promotional code. He will absolutely get back with you and will probably be extremely uplifting, positive, and humorous. It's just who he is. AndrePsyche.com needs to be the next stop you make when you are perusing the web and you just need some dope-ass merch. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. While this intro is rambling along in syllables, please go to your Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, friend and follow the pod. Then if it's not too much to ask yet, go to your podcast player and rate the pod and please subscribe. Finally, I oh know it's a three-step process every time. We are also trying to be a for-profit podcast. So if you or someone you know is interested in sponsoring or becoming a sponsor of this pod, just message us. Or you can visit our Patreon page. Search, it's all one word, getting to know you pod. We really appreciate all your support. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you, putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. My cup of tea. On today's show, we are getting to know Lauren. Lauren, who is, you're in Montreal right now? I am, yeah. Nice. Coming to us from Montreal. Dude, I am on a freaking hot streak of like eight, I think, Canadians, not in a row, but like almost back to back to back to back. It's um, just such pleasant people you northern neighbors are. Are we pleasant? <laughs> all the ones I've spoken to have been. All nine, all nine have- Canadians that I know. Yes. Do you find that we have accents? Uh, it's funny. So... Uh, Olivia, the one I posted, I think last night, actually thought I was Canadian. 
<laughs> I mean, I would have a reason not to think that. It doesn't, you know, really? it don't sound one way or another. Okay. Yeah. Well, she thought the my vowel drawing was. Um, you're the least Canadian sounding thus far. And a lot of times, really, it's just um, when the word about comes, is spoken. About. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, I that that you're Canadian. I can just tell right there. That's it. Well, I... I understand what you're talking about that I'm <laughs> apparently saying a boot, but I, I don't hear it. Like I'm saying about like with a, with a W about anyways. Yeah, no, that's it. But like, um, there was a bunch of people who I honestly didn't have any idea. And then all of a sudden when, um, they said about, or even someone who, um, Jen, she had left Canada, I think about 10 years ago and, you know, right near Michigan, Detroit, she was in Windsor, um, uh, and you couldn't tell. And then all of a sudden she hits an about and you're like, yep, there's the Canadian coming out in you. I mean, I believe you, but I can't, I can't hear it. Like if you were to put like <laughs> 10 people in a row and say, which one of these is saying about, as opposed to about, I'd be like, what are you saying? <laughs> so it, it, all, it all smells. I don't the know. Same. <laughs> anyway. Oh man. So, uh, yeah, I'm from Montreal. I'm in quarantine stuck in my apartment with my two, um, hairy cats. And we're just, we're honestly having a great time. I mean, I complain, but I do it tact, um, I do it uh, tastefully, you know, tasteful complaining, I find, because I still try to recognize that it's not that bad. Yeah. But, it. I mean, it's, yeah. And I don't know how dense Montreal is, but like, I, I really feel for people in like New York City who are trapped, trapped in apartments and you just can't fucking get out. And it seems super scary. And I feel like a lot of people, it's hard to relate to them across our country, at least, because it's like, quarantine actually isn't too bad what like why are we shutting so much shit down yeah well i mean they're they're in in montreal so i live in quebec and essentially like quebec's kind of like a french farm town and we're actually not doing too bad in quebec in general but montreal is the epicenter of quebec and we're not doing too well at all just within montreal so things are opening in quebec like you have like the elementaries and the schools but in montreal they keep pushing it back a week and pushing it back a week. Um, and I mean, at a certain point we started hanging out in the parks, but that's the most that we can really do. There's literally nothing else to do. Nothing's open. Uh, not even, it's not even to the point where we have like storefronts that are open. Like the only things that we have besides essential services would be takeout food and you can't sit down. Yeah. Yeah. So we're the same. Really, it's really nothing. Um, what I love about America though, God bless America is Walmart. Um, you really haven't done well. So like your Walmarts, I will spend maybe, I'm not kidding, four hours there. Like, especially my favorite Walmart to go to would be a Walmart in a hick town of America. So I did some wilderness training in, um, Ohio. Okay. Wow. Like who goes to Ohio? I don't know. If anything, I've, it's the opposite. I've heard people say like, oh, don't bother. And then when I went to Ohio and I went to their Walmart, I was like unbeatable unbeatable <laughs> because yeah. are you talking about the people or are you just talking about all the shit that they had there oh definitely definitely not the people <laughs> i'm talking about the variety the cost the fun ratio to experience ratio i just we you guys have you guys sell bb guns um there's like pepper spray it is wild oh, it's yeah. wild these are like a dollar that's but by the same token the american dollar is worth like 33 cents more than the Canadian dollar. So that could be why things appeared so cheap, right? They actually have to add 30% if I'm looking at it. Gotcha. But um, yeah, it was definitely, definitely confusing. But 
anyways, I've been going to Walmart a lot. It's just not the same. That was the point. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been ruined by American Walmarts now that you're in Canada. They're just plain. So like, do they not have like all the extra like hunting and fishing section, house section, paint section, craft section? Like, is that not common up there? So a couple of super centers do, but I just feel that the Walmart super centers in America are just bigger. And there's like, I don't know, I think I obviously I'm projecting, but there's definitely like some American dream vibes going on in your Walmart. Like, it's just the way that they advertise, like things that are a dollar is so what I would imagine like a fake advertisement to look like. I don't know. It just seems it's like, it's like cartoonish. I can't explain it. Like you're not, you're never going to notice this, but ask another Canadian, like, is there something whack about American Walmarts? They're great. They're just like, they're unreal. I don't know. This, Applebee's is crazy too. Apple, no, Denny's is crazy. Applebee's and Denny's. Yeah. These are some crazy places. Whenever I take a road trip, Denny's is really good. Your food's really good, but in a weird way, it's like too good. You think it's like laced with something? Yes. Oh. I had Chipotle for the first time um, sometime this year. I was in Ohio at this at the same place, and um, it was it was good in the same way that a McDonald's burger aftertaste is good. Like it was it was something that I don't know. There's something in in your food that makes it really good. Man. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment or not. It scared me, but no. I would go again. Delicious. <laughs> was scared at how good it was like i don't that that's a awkwardly unnerving like sentiment like why are you fearful of good tasting food i think it's because the regulations on um i don't know if the word chemical is the right word but on the way that you guys preserve and and uh, uh and manage the food are different from in canada i think that they're more lax and so i think that some places particularly fast food places will take advantage of that and use more or different preservatives that make the food taste a lot better, which gotcha. we don't have the right to use in Canada. But I'm not a food expert, but I think that that's what it is. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Man, that's interesting little perspective too. I didn't, I didn't think about that. Yeah. I mean, I do with there, McDonald's, but I don't. I didn't take it to Chipotle. You just don't think we have like really good kosher salt or like this like herbal mix of, I don't, I don't know, like adobo. <laughs> like I, I think um you know how sometimes in in asian food there's this thing called msg which is what makes yeah. a lot of that food addictive okay something like that no, it's no. like an addictive uh, property that just makes it so good gotcha now i'm with you yeah i forgot about that in the 90s um back before i don't know what do you, you said 25 so 95 does that put you so 94 94 got you so like early 90s there was a show called in living color have you heard about no, it? I'm not aware. Is it American? Yeah, but Jim Carrey was in it. Um, he was a white. It was a, basically like um, a black sitcom, black like sketch comedy, and then they had like the token white person that would come in, and it was like it was kind of groundbreaking because like whatever you have like the Cosby Show, but the Cosby was very wholesome and seemed very like easy to relate to for white people, common life kind of a stuff, right? You have parents, you have professions, and Living Color was just crazy funny black black comedians going nuts and just saying all kinds of weird shit. But anyway, they had an Asian guy come on and I think he was like, um, there was this MSG rap. I almost want to YouTube it. Um, but anyway, that's a long, weird side note to talk about. Yes. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, now I know. With MSG. I think, I think it's just that people are self-aware that MSG is, is uh, delicious and it exists. And, um, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. It's really good. 
Um, so Canadian but, food bland, American food not. Wow. Yeah, some of it's. I didn't realize it was bland. I think it's just missing the addictive property, like I said. But yeah, who knew, right? Who knew? Like, <laughs> you have to kind of be Canadian to be so like desensitized to, I guess, our blandness. And then you go there and you're like, oh, I didn't know. Like, it's it's like you don't know what you're missing, and then you kind of forget when you get back home until right. you go back. Yeah, it's funny, man, because I just don't think I've never really been to Canada, never really been. <laughs> um, but like, I, I don't think of it as being like culturally that different. And it's funny to hear like it, it like I would think of Mexico as like hugely culturally different. But in Canada, I'm like, no, nah, man, you're basically us. You're like Minnesotans, you know? Yeah, I, I do find it culturally different depending on the state that I go to. So I find that your hick towns are, um, I mean, look, we have our hick towns, but I just find that they have a different flavor to them. Um, and both of them have like, so I live in Quebec, right? So like my hick towns, like a, a French hillbilly is different from an American hillbilly, but I definitely notice the different demeanors and the different attitude and, and just like a vibe when you are talking to people. I do find, um, okay, so I'm, I'm a, my Instagram now is for mainly for the naked and afraid stuff that I did. But before then my Instagram is not Lauren's dog. And the reason I named it that is because it's for dogs that aren't mine. I eat not Lauren's dog. And what I would do is in, in Montreal or wherever I was, I would go up to people who have dogs and I, it was really just an excuse to, to pet their dog. But um, I would, I would eventually like get a picture and ask them like a few questions and ask if I could post their dog on the Instagram, which went over really, really well um, oh. because I, I love petting people's dog. And I, in America, uh, especially like in New York, people are weirded out. And then they're more weirded out when they realize that my intentions are just here. Like I just want to pet their dog. Just want to get to know about it. Um, <laughs> like ask enjoyable questions. And it's like, I felt like there was a suspicion or something. Maybe it was because it, it is a forward question, right? Being like, nice dog. Do you love it? You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> Do you feed it processed food? <laughs> I, I, I really just like throw out whatever question comes to my mind. Usually it's been like, how much do you love your dog? I guess that is a weird question now that I come to think of it. But usually people in Canada are stoked and people in America, it takes them like a hot minute to be like, but why? Oh, huh. Why are you asking this? And then when they find out, they're stoked. Right. Yeah, but, maybe um, I'm skeptical. Yeah, different, different attitude. I don't know. Maybe it's the capitalist in us. We're trying, like, we're always leery that we're getting taken advantage of in some way. Yeah, I'm going to take advantage of them and take a picture of their dog and get to know it. <laughs> Post it on my Instagram. That's it. I have, like, like, a few hundred followers. I don't even make money off of it. I just like sharing these things. Um, so why do you have cats but, if you're a dog person? I have cats because I'm a responsible, I'm an animal person, right? I have cats because I'm a responsible animal person. And I know that the dog that I want requires a lot of, um, a lot of care, not to say I want like a very specific breed, but it was more the size of dog that I want. Uh, um, I'd have to take it out maybe like three times a day and I would want it to get trained. And so because I'm a dog person, I have this envisionment of a really good life for my dog, like a child, you know? Yeah. 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 So you and, want the farm. Uh, maybe not. I, I think right now the ideal for me wouldn't necessarily be a farm. Like if I had infinite money, I would get a dog and then hire like a trainer and a dog walker. But, um, I don't, I, I like, I would really want to hire the best. And so I think it's better, better if I just wait until I have the structure and the balanced time to give my dog the life that I envision for it instead of torturing myself now. Gotcha. How big are we talking for the dog? Uh, 
you know, like uh, 70, 80 pounds. Okay, nice. Yeah, that's good size. And do you have the name or do you hope the name comes to you when you see the dog? Or you already know what you're going to name it? I have the name. It's been Jane for a long time. Um, but I don't really care. Like, I'm open to, to naming it. If, I, if it wants to be named 47, then this is what it is. And also, if I adopt a dog, usually those come with names. And so... Right. Uh, are you, what are you going to do about that? Right. Tell a, tell a five-year-old dog that its name isn't its name. No. <laughs> How confusing would that dog be? Like, I, fucking, yeah, so, I, I can so only, I, don't have a dog, I guess it's just, I, I want to be responsible and it'll be better when I, when I do get one, but I don't think I need to live on a farm to have a dog. I, I live in a small apartment in, in downtown Montreal. And I do think that's okay. As long as you know, you're taking that dog out three times a day. Gotcha. Or whatever it needs. Yeah. Why, uh, why Jane? I don't know. I think I think because somebody once told me when I was a kid that Jane was a really plain name. And in my head, I was like, well, my dog is going to be the most interesting woman in the world. So she needs a really plain name to balance that out. I think that, that was the logic. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I don't know anymore. This is just how I've been thinking about it. And also, I like four-letter names a lot. I think that they're clean. I'm very sad that I don't have a four-letter name. So because you just can't split it in half? Well, so my name's Lauren, right? This uh, L-A-U-R-E-N, but you can L-O-R-N that. Oh, Lauren. Okay. So, but it's it's uh, it's quite masculine, and um, don't really like that. So I don't know. Like I don't want to be Lore. No, it's just I just have to accept that I appreciate four letter names and don't have one myself. That's fine. <laughs> I've never met a person that said I really appreciate four letter names. Yeah, well, I'm a, I do math for a living, right? So I have like um, inclinations towards certain numbers. You know, four is good. One one two is great. One one it's two. Just a, sorry. One one two. What do you? What's one one two? Yeah, I really like really like one one two. It's uh, well, it's it. I mean, it, it, I I can't explain why I like it, but I think it's because one plus one is two, and then you can like kind of, and then also it's uh, the first three numbers in a really classical famous series of numbers or sequence of numbers god you math people like geek out yeah. over like pi day and shit like that um wasn't it just a couple years ago that like a bunch of the digit like you know it's 314 but then the year actually lined up with like the next four digits or at least the next two where are you talking about something like 2020 2020 or something like that no so pi day right so the number pi 3.14 oh, yeah, like, like uh, may 14th yeah oh Mar march march 14th. Exactly. Much, yeah. Um, but then like what's after three point one four five nine something? I actually don't know. Okay. Well, I thought like the year or like somehow like they were like, this is the year where like the day and then at this particular time the pi number digits go like twenty two oh, places like down it, or something. It like shit. continues onwards into the decibel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I, no, I'm not that type of weird, but I can appreciate that. <laughs> I, I can just, definitely appreciate that. I'm, I'm not i'm not that weird like i i know that i, I study math but i'm uh, i think that the exception to like my lifestyle is actually the fact that i study math like i think that math is the exception and everything else i do is a little bit more consistent if that makes any sense culturally appropriate yeah so if you were to like classify me as like uh if you were to try and stereotype me i mean you could definitely call me a nerd i don't think that, that would be wrong but i feel like that's kind of the odd part that doesn't even match the rest of my personality. Like, I feel like I'm more of a, uh, if you had to stereotype me, maybe like an annoying 
hipster more so than a than a math nerd just at least at first glance right but (laughs) i'm just trying to until like until the person asks for your id and you're like god do i really have to show you say i have this six letter name and it's kind of masculine but really i'm feminine on the inside and i so wish it was four and i and then the person's like what the fuck is happening yeah yeah that's it is there a number you hate like samantha number like what what's a long name where you would actually consider changing your name Ooh, like if I had a name that I didn't like? Yeah, Alexandria. And you were like, man, I can't fucking deal with nine letters, man. Like, it's just driving me nuts. Is there a letter, um, a letter tipping point? I don't know. I I don't know. I I mean, like, I I definitely could say that there are names that I don't like, but I don't think I have like a, like the same natural propensity to um, (coughs) dislike a name in the same way that I have spoken about my... (laughs) propensities to like names like I don't know if there's um I don't like the color purple (laughs) but I don't know (laughs) is it is it because of the amount of letters or is it just the feeling you get from it I'm just so I think I've never heard anyone say man I just really love four letter names (laughs) yeah um I don't know why I love four letter names I love the, the I I you know some people um what do they have? What's this thing called where they can see like numbers as colors and like songs and in, in, in terms of like lines and art, it might be something similar along those lines, but I definitely don't see numbers mm. as colors I'll at just... all. Um, but I think it's just an instinct about like that certain numbers are, I don't, this is not a word, but like gooder than others. I don't know. Yeah. More better. But, but by the same token, sometimes I feel like I would have to, like if you ask me certain questions about numbers, like I feel like I'm I'm uh, kind of just making the decision on the spot, right? And I know that that's not what you're asking. You're asking like, what do you know in your heart is a good number? And I'm like, there's only a few. <laughs> <laughs> there's only a few. Do, do you have particular numbers that you will only gamble? Like, are you going to the roulette table and you're always playing this or like on the lottery, you always got to pick these same numbers? Is it that bad for you? No, I don't, I don't actually gamble. I don't even... Um, I don't even know how really, like I know some really basic principles of gambling, but I'd probably be okay at it considering I, I study math, but, uh, yeah. no, maybe. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not a super gambler either, but when people are, can like really vibe with numbers and they can just keep that shit organized in their head. Um, blackjack is, you know, the game that you go to because it's kind of, it's, um, the probabilities are very set and the people who can calculate that, um, are just great at like they're you can be a professional gambler yeah yeah i'm a very slow learner but um and so because of that i feel like playing blackjack for uh, like as a true gambler would would put me in the losses quite a bit <clears throat> before i could actually climb out of it because i'm such a slow learner gotcha. but by the same token i i can learn things um and learn them quite steadily right so it I, like could be a good- <laughs> I like how you said that I'm a slow learner, but at the same time, I can learn things. <laughs> you totally can. I totally can. And um, obviously, I know that you're interested in, because uh, your daughter watches the show, uh, my experience on Naked and Afraid. And, and I think that, uh, did you see my episode? Um, so I debated it. And um, we watched actually last night with dinner, the one um, where the two tribes were like apart for 10 days. With me in it though, that one like mine. Yeah, yeah, you were there um, with the dude with the mohawk, who was like the alligator guy. 
and like you two were definitely vibing better than the other two the older dude who like was patronizing the girl and then the girl was just oh interesting okay so that's how you see it yeah i'm always interested to see how people perceive um our relationships for um, a myriad of reasons like one because like and this is no shade to naked and afraid but you have to understand and like you have to believe me that in naked and afraid for like as as just an an example but it's always the case this was 21 days of of footage because we were all there for 21 days and you're condensing that into 85 minutes yeah and so no matter how they kind of slice and dice the relationships, there is always, always more to it. And um, what you saw about Danelle and Danelle and uh, Rod's relationship and their and how tense they were in their animosity, like that was true. But there's so much more to it, right? And so it feels like such an injustice to see it. And then also. In their case, a lot of people are, I find that they're either siding with one or the other, and they think that it's obvious. And so it's so interesting for me to hear, you're clearly thinking that Rod was being patronizing, but a lot of people don't like Danelle and the way that she was portrayed. Oh, yeah. But I mean, they, and again, I don't know, but my daughter was even like, why is she snapping? Like, she's like, she's acting kind of bratty because he's just trying to like, keep her safe or he like, seems to know stuff. And you're like, yeah, I guess it's the way he's saying it. And maybe she's coming in with some like experiences or that triggers her for some reason. And like, I don't think the dude's trying to be patronizing. Right. But like, that's how she took it. Right. Um, so she did, she did come in with experiences, but by the same token, um, Danelle gave Rod a lot of chances. So she felt that the way that he spoke to her was patronizing. Um, but she communicated this with him multiple times. Right. And so when you see her snap, um, it's because she doesn't feel like, he's hearing her out every time that she says, Hey, could you just act a little differently? I'm really sensitive to this. And she was admittedly sensitive about this, right? She's had a really negative experience where she had an extremely abusive relationship. She talks about it on the show. It's not a secret. It's just that it wasn't um, included in the airtime. Gotcha. And so um, a lot of the characteristics uh, that Rod displayed reminded her of that experience, which was, could be extremely traumatizing for her. And it's like, I mean, she's, she has every right to be sensitive and, and kudos to her for communicating that. Right. And I just think that it was, um, you know, maybe Rod didn't sympathize enough with her or, um, maybe she could have communicated better. I don't know, but that wasn't the first time that Rod was being patronizing to her. Right. And by the same token, I don't think that Rod was being intentionally that way. I don't think he was intentionally patronizing. Like, Rod and I had like an okay relationship. And I think that Rod is a natural born teacher. And so the way that he talks is often like, let me show you. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and when you're naked and starving and you're living with these people, uh, you know, if your vibe is off by a fraction of an inch, it, 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 it actually affects you and it can make you quite sensitive. Oh Yeah. So that's why, that's why she snapped. It was because it was a culmination of, of things, right? It wasn't just Rod saying, hey, can you put a different wood? It was way more than that. Right. I think it's expected, right? I mean, 85 minutes, 21 days. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because at the beginning, at least from our reaction, we were like, man, she is just angry for no reason. And then by the end, when you – because it gets pointed out, you start listening to how Rod is saying things and like dealing with the map. And there's like even one shot where it's like a high up shot of you guys walking, I think mm-hmm. towards the end. And it's like the one, I think it was Rod. Like, it looks like he's like a thousand yards in front of you. And then the three of you are like in the back and you're like, does he just have to 
be up front. Like even that optic was like, that's, that's a little patronizing. Like, it's like, come on guys, be up with me versus like, what does the group need? Let's be with the group kind of a thing. That, so we actually had a big fight about that, but not exactly because Rod was in the front. So when we, uh, I was extremely weak. So I don't know if you could tell, but I was the physically out of the three, the three others, like those three others, those two men were quite big men, like not fat, but they were just large men. They fucking lost Um, 40 and 50 pounds. I was like, Jesus Christ. That's a lot of fucking weight to lose, dude. And then Danelle is quite well built. So she played, uh, I think, semi-professional football. Um, So she's she's broad shoulders and just like has a good amount of muscle on her. Like she's well built. And then I have a a relatively small frame and I came in like skinnier than I usually do uh, because I only had six days notice to get on the show. Oh, no fucking way. Um, Six days? Yeah, yeah. So you would have had... You would have plumped up like crazy. Would that have been your strategy? A hundred percent because you're going to lose the weight, right? So I came in uh, at 125 pounds, which is for me personally, that's actually quite light. I'm usually closer to about 130 Um, and five pounds for a woman at that size. It it is substantially different because, for example, I went from 125 to 99 by the end of the show. Um, At at that point, like you're anorexic, right? Not not literally because it's not a choice, but well... it, it was, it, I looked very sick, but think about it this way. If I had been 130 pounds, then I would have been 105 more or less. And I just feel like at that, like the difference between 99 and 105, it's a difference that I could have used. Right. Anyway, the, the point is that because I was, um, I had so much less meat on me, which I gained back very fast. It's, it's really strange how fast you gain back the weight. Like we're talking 20 pounds in three days, just water weight, I guess. Wow. But um, it was extremely weak. And I was also physically the weakest um, out of all three of them. Oddly enough, I don't think that from a, um, what's it called? From a technical standpoint, I was the weakest. So I think that I had just as much, if not more information in some topics because I was the most researched on primitive survival, but because I was the uh, the least experienced in primitive survival, but the most researched, right? So it's kind of like the bookworm and I knew what to do with the right tools in the right setting mm-hmm. um, or I knew how to improvise, but I, we couldn't use any of those tactics on anyone's behalf because we were all so weak physically with me being um, the weakest. And so you're basically just doing the minimum to survive. And because of that, I was like, when we took that extraction walk, they said, okay, Lauren, do you feel like you're going to walk the slowest right now? And I said, I think so. Um, I wasn't sure, but I thought so just because I was the physically weakest in general. And so they put me in the front of the pack. And so I started walking and I don't know why, I guess I was just like miserable and kind of wallowing. And I was walking extremely slow. Um, Danelle didn't say anything. She didn't care, but Diggy and, uh, Rod started complaining Um. and, um, they started like making jokes about it, just being like, come on, slow poke. And it was like, I kind of laughed it off, but I found it so annoying. Like <laughs> you're so hungry. You're trying to get out of there. I was like, this is so annoying. Like, are you, do you, how do you have the energy to poke fun at me right now? Um, cause they, they fucking I, came I, in. Well, they, yeah. they got the energy cause they were pushing like three bills on the intro. <laughs> like, <laughs> three bills those dudes had to be close oh, to like yeah, 300 yeah. They, pounds when they, they were. were around 250 pounds a pop. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's right. Yeah. Um, and they were less cold than me by a long shot too. Oh my really. god, that dude, that's so something. So I'm I'm not super skinny. I'm 5'10, like 160, 170, right? Um, but in the yeah. winter, I just fucking shiver in southern Delaware, right? And like you get to, and bigger people are like in t-shirts or whatever. And I'm like, how are you fucking like 
how are you not shivering and freezing your ass off? And it, you yeah. really don't Sorry. understand how warm like girth or mass can make you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and so. so they started complaining and p- poking fun. And it's, it's so frustrating when something, when somebody is doing something that you find annoying, but they're doing it in a way that's in jest, right? Because it's like, you don't know how to get angry at that because they're kidding. And so you don't want to seem like you're overreacting. So you ask them over and over being like, please stop making comments about this. I'm going to lose my mind. And they didn't. (laughs) And at one point I just snapped like, like crazy girl 101. I mean, it was provoked though. So I don't even blame myself. And I was like, fine. And I basically started running. Um, and I was so surprised. They, they didn't show this, but I was so surprised by how fast I was going. What are you, um, like are I didn't you, realize I was so quick. Are you and sure I, you were quick or did it just feel quick? Cause you hadn't like moved in the blood rush and energy, but maybe you were actually going in slow-mo. Well, like, yeah, blood rush and energy <laughs> also like quick in comparison to how fast we were going. Um, right. like I never walked that fast. Like it was almost a bit reckless because you wouldn't normally walk that fast in these like South African bush, but I was just angry. Um, and I know it was fast because when they, they started kind of following along at first and then they started trailing seriously behind. Oh. Um, and at a certain point the producers were like, Lauren, you can't be walking that fast. They're going to like, they can't catch up. Like you're, they're not able to, because as a smaller person, I can walk faster if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I was so like crazy girl satisfied. I was like, Oh, is it hard being 205 pounds right now? I bet that's really tough, you know? And I really wish that they would have shown that because it was like a point of breaking for me, but it was also like a point of um, adrenaline and strength that I was like, damn, I wish I could have tapped into this a little bit earlier. You see me trying to be like tame, mellow the whole time so that I don't snap. And then the one time I did, they didn't show it, which was disappointing. Oh, dude, that that sounds actually hilarious. I wonder why, man. Like, that's kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> totally right, um, and and I think it's because um, as much as this is a docu series, there is a storyline that producers will lean on. Um, yeah, they're not just going to show you like like they want the the scenes to kind of meld into each other in a logical way, right? And yeah. so I think it was just like the things that they chose to focus on didn't mold with that. Yeah, because um, well, they totally played up the um the the fear of lions, right? And you were actually literally attacked by lions right yeah in like almost the same area so the same but like a six hour drive away almost so i felt like they were kind of pegging you as this like scared weaker thing in the show and you know they they like with the way they edit it they just kept like flashing the picture of the line you never know like how close the line actually is to the people who are there right they seem to do that a lot and it doesn't seem like you being empowered would vibe with that storyline Right. I think at the end, they kind of did make it seem like I was slightly empowered because they were like, uh, they heard me say like, I feel vindicated or something. Um, and like, sure. I mean, I mean, part of it is authentic and and true in terms of my, uh, intentionality for being there. And like the fact that I want to overcome this fear, but also by the same token, like there is no fear to overcome. Like it is normal to be afraid of, of lions. Um, (laughs) and like, like, look, think about it this way, okay? You're there for, for 21 days. So every single time that I talk about a lion, um, if that's what, uh, you know, the, the show is putting a focus on, because it's quite relevant, right? Yeah. Like, it makes it look like I'm talking about it often, but I actually wasn't necessarily talking about it that often because, you know, they're just choosing that as a as a focal point. Right. Um, But, you know, that's okay, right? It's like... um. 
I don't know how to explain this. Like there's a, I, I was, I was watching this show the other day called like uh, love is blind. I don't know if you've seen it. Have not. Is okay. It, is it, it blind people dating? No, don't watch it. It's not blind people dating. Anyways, there was this black woman. Um, her name was Lauren, coincidentally. And she uh, she found like love on the show with this white guy named Cameron. And I mean, they're interracial, right? So it's definitely like a point of focus for these two people to talk about it at least a little bit because it's, you know, it's important and it's relevant. And like, how are you going to navigate that? But um, a lot of people were saying like, why doesn't Lauren and Cam, why don't Lauren and Cameron like shout out about this? Like we get it. You're black. He's white. You're interracial, big whoop. Mm. Um, like stop talking about it. But like, they might not have actually talked about it that often. Right. right it's yeah. just that that was an important thing that the show wanted to focus on. Um, and it doesn't make it inauthentic. Right. Yeah. It's just, you need to keep in mind, like how often is this actually happening? Because there's so much footage. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously everything that they said and everything that I said was real and genuine, but by the same token, was I thinking about lions every single second? A little bit, but not in a, in a way that, um, like not to the same extent that you, that you would see in some scenes, right? Where I'm like, there's a lion right there. Like that wasn't every second. Yeah. Happened a few times. The scariest moment for me on the show is actually not the lions. It was when we were at, uh, it was the four of us sitting at camp. And uh, production came up to us and they were like, um, they don't normally do this. They don't normally point things out, but they were like, guys, we've just got to tell you for safety reasons that there's an elephant like quite close and you can see it. And we got up and we saw across the lake. And this is a small lake, right? This elephant's the size of a, of a small house, but it's still the size of a house nonetheless. Jeez. And um, it wasn't being threatening. It was on its own, drinking some water, walking around. And then it kind of trailed along the side of the lake and came not, I, I don't know if it came towards us because it was curious. I think more so that there's only like one logical path around the lake and it was just following that path. <laughs> uh, and it, it wasn't like a man-made path. It was just like, yeah. kind of like a bushwhacked path and, and through that bushwhacked path, like there's nowhere else to go. So it kind of naturally came towards us and uh, it got way too close and it actually mock charged us. Um, mock charged? Like... Yeah. So when an elephant is feeling potentially threatened or it feels like it needs to kind of test the waters to see if it's being threatened, it will kind of taunt you and like fake charge at you just to see what your reaction is. And what are you supposed to do, bookworm, to survive? (laughs) Just stand your ground. If you actually do get charged uh, by an elephant, I don't think that there's much that you can do because like, let's say you were to hide behind a tree, like they knock down trees. Well, so here would be my strategy. I would try for the Olay. Am, am I overestimating my quick my, my quick reaction time and their inability to quickly pivot because of their size? Like, could I stay center and then just try to hop out of the way and let it run by me? Um, I mean, I'd probably do the same thing, to be honest. Uh, I'm trying to think about where an elephant's eyes are like how centered they are. Cause I think that that would affect it. Right. Like I'm not an expert on this, but I think that the more centered on their face that they are, the less chance that you'd have to do that. I feel like they're kind of centered. I have to look up a picture of an elephant, you know, hmm. but like with a lion, um, you can see that like its eyes are more in the front of its head, like almost like a human. Like yeah. A right. Cat. Yeah. Cause that's what the predators do. Right. The more, the more it's to the side, you're more likely to be something that's, evolutionary prey and the more forward yeah. it is it's predator because it's depth right 
Yeah, they're kind of sideways. Yeah, they're, they're they're quite sideways. I thought that they might be a little bit more centered together. I think that you might be able to do it, but I don't think that you'd have the best chance. Like, we're talking maybe 10%. Um, the ranger uh, who kind of, like, he, he just stood his ground. Because we have rangers there, and that's not a secret. You can see it on some episodes of XL that the rangers do need to get involved. But um, he was able, I don't want to say that he, like, he, he, he didn't actually have to intervene much. Mm-hmm. But he just kind of like yelled at it and it, it was able to go away. And I think it's like the confidence of the ranger to not budge was enough for the elephant to be like, these guys aren't a threat, but they're also not something that I need to involve myself with. And he walked yeah, right. away. Yeah, because most but animals aren't most animals aren't looking to fight. Like most animals are just looking to survive. They're they're not We we saw some lions. Um the closest that they got to us uh were there's a scene where you can see we're we're on merge walk. So merge walk is when on day 11, uh, it was me and Diggy, who was, he was my partner, not my romantic partner, <laughs> but like, uh, <laughs> make an afraid partner. I love it when people suggest that. I'm like, guys, there was literally nothing there. Um, with Ron and Danelle, even more. Do people and suggest so that? Diggy, That's like a thing. People are like, so you and Diggy were vibing, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. They, like they Seriously? were. And, um, like people would ask me that, like, did you go on the show? Where would you be open to love? And I was like, I was like, singles I was like yeah I mean sure it wasn't my top priority but like absolutely but like when I saw Diggy I was like there's too much of an age gap it wasn't even a thought on my mind and besides everybody knows that Diggy loves his wife very very much he talked about her all the time bless Jamie his wife who makes the best food um and then Rod also is like really really close to his family and so it was like me and Danelle being the single girls and I was like well you're my wife you know you're (laughs) the one if I had to choose anyone out of these people it would be no one for sure or it would be the Rangers but it was me and Danelle for sure that were the closest and um anyway so we were walking uh the two of us and then we met up with these other two on day 11 to continue the 21 day challenge to tribe and then we did see lions um kind of like farther down as we were trying to find a water source okay um that's not the closest that they got to us but that's the closest that they got to us where we could see them gotcha so we're talking like over a football field away how big is a football field maybe two 100 yards american football i think canadian football goes like a buck 20 buck 25 but american 100 yards 300 feet 100 meters no i think more than one more than one for sure like two but they were on a hill and they weren't interested in us um uh wasn't sure if they could see us it was hard to tell because i didn't have binoculars but that was um scary but also more like tense and like calm in a weird way those are two opposite words i know but like we were able to get through it the closest that they did get was within 300 feet um and that happened at night when we couldn't see them but we could hear them and then during the day we asked the rangers how close that they came and they were like well we can show you the like you can see in the sand here like there's footprints man right so like um, you know, the, the Rangers don't help you, but they have, you know, safety information that you might need to n- know. Right. And so you don't, you don't see all of this, but there are like, they're, they're doing checkups. They don't want you to die. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes <laughs> they intervene and you can see that happen on certain episodes, but it doesn't really, I mean, well, what can you do? Right. Like you can't let your contestants die. It's very rare that the Rangers need to intervene to the point where like, if they didn't, you would be taken off. Gotcha. Um, I don't really think that that happened in our show. Like they didn't need to intervene to that extent, which is good. Right. Because if they did, I might feel like it compromised something about the challenge. Right. Um, I, I got to ask but, about this elephant fake charge. Just one thing. Like, could you feel it? 
like, could you feel, is, is there like vibrations in the ground similar to an earthquake when an elephant close enough where it's like fake charging you or not? No. Uh, well, I don't see how that would happen, right? You mean because it stomps its foot on the ground? Yeah. Like, I just wonder how powerful it is to have something that freaking big, like quick step run. And you're just like, could could you feel the vibrations? Uh, okay. It didn't charge. It was more like, you know, when you're taunting someone and you yeah. kind of like move forward a little bit. Right. And so like it, it was more of a, of a quick movement as opposed to a quick stomp, gotcha. but based on the position of its ears, uh, when an elephant actually wants to charge you, its ears go back quite a bit and the ears of this elephant were kind of like spread. Okay. So that's an indication that it's not a real charge. Uh, just the test. You just got to stand your ground. And uh, if it does charge you, I think you have about a 10% chance of survival. Yeah. I didn't mean to sidetrack you there, but I was just wondering, because like I've never been, I don't know, near enough to feel like sometimes you watch some of these videos, man, elephants are moving and it looks like you could feel vibrations. They're just so powerful, so thick. And you're like, I couldn't feel the vibrations because I don't feel like it was stomping enough to, I get what you're saying, but it wasn't like hitting the ground. Gotcha it was quite calm and it it moved away. Um, but I did find that like all of production and especially my partners had like this childlike fascination with all these African animals. Like when they would see them, um, it was like they turned into little kids. Whereas I didn't feel that way at all. I was like, okay, nice. Get me out of here. But by the same token, I was attacked by two lions. And so I'm, I'm, it's not to say that I'm over it, but it's like, I don't have the same capacity for awe because the primary, um, feeling is like, Okay. I also feel like this is so weird. Um, I feel such an immense pressure to feel a certain way. And I don't know what that certain way is, but I feel like people, (laughs) whether or not I'm imagining it, but I feel like people like, because they don't know what it's like to be an online tech survivor. And like, to be honest, neither do I, right? Like I don't have that many people to compare the experience to. I feel like they're expecting me to react a certain way. And that is so stressful, oddly enough. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Like cry? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Do I have a panic attack? seizures should i ball my fist up (laughs) do i grab back at the Um, lion i I did have a panic attack and it was off camera um not intentionally off camera but i was kind of happy because i just felt like that would be like scrutinized and analyzed not that i'm completely against that right because it's like you sign up for a reality tv show you know that like your most vulnerable moments are going to be shown i was kind of grateful that that like mini panic attack wasn't shown because it is like excessively vulnerable that you just like don't necessarily need in the in the broad internet but essentially what happened was i put a lot of trust and faith into these rangers um and I had conversations with them and they were all aware of what had happened to me. Right. And, um, so I have like, I have like big ranger issues. Like, you know how some people have daddy issues? Cause like <laughs> I, I, well, I was like literally attacked by animals. And so I have like, like, I really need to see, see that they're there. I'm always looking for them. I'm always saying hi to them. I'm like, good job. You know, like I'm really like <laughs> number one um, fan, number one fan right here. Just <laughs> literally, I like it when they're around me. It makes me feel safe. Um, uh, like, like their presence really made me feel good. And at one point I kind of was walking to get some water and usually they sort of follow you at a distance. Uh, and I thought that one of them was following me, but he wasn't. And then, um, I wasn't that far though. I was just like behind some bushes in like some standard area where like we, we would go often. I don't remember what I was doing, probably looking for firewood. And then 
I don't know if ambushed is the right word, but that's how it felt. I was, uh, there was this like little monkey that kind of like jumped out of a tree and screamed at me. Um, and then I realized that he had like a bunch of friends that were also in the tree and like they weren't that big, but you know, hypothetically, if all these monkeys attacked you, not that they would, but if they did, it would be a disaster. Oh, it wouldn't be hypothetical. That shit was proven in the wizard of Oz. What happened in the wizard of Oz? The monkey attacks. Yeah. Um, and so I just started screaming for the ranger because I was, I was, um, completely like unable to assess the level of danger. And so I just kind of like decided it was high alert danger and didn't want to take the chance. Um, because so anyways, they, they ended up coming and they, they were so concerned and they were like, Oh, you're all good. It's just monkeys. But basically I don't really take chances with danger levels because the way that I got attacked by a lion was it was in 2013 and I was volunteering at a rehabilitation center for injured wildlife um so my job as a young volunteer was just to kind of clean the cages and uh feed the animals there was not necessarily like much hands-on contact especially with the larger animals okay so i was in the feeding cage of one of these lions where there were two lions actually and the way that a feeding cage uh works in general and in this rehab center is like you can imagine that there's like a standard rectangular enclosure and like that is kind of made out of a chain link fence right and so if you think about the kind of structure of a chain link fence you can maybe stick your fingers through it maybe your hand if it's small but like it's it's not you can't get dragged through it if that makes any sense you yeah. following yeah yeah right and so a feeding cage is like this adjacent shed to um to the side of that enclosure and so it's it only has like three walls because the, the fourth wall of the feeding cage is the enclosure itself right so it's like just three added metal walls onto the enclosure with the fourth wall being the chain link fence so that it kind of makes this four walled structure and it's small it's the feeding cage and then you got two doors right so you got one door for the worker to get into the feeding cage and then one door that's like on the enclosure itself for the animal to get into the feeding cage and so you can't open both doors at once or else you've opened up like a portal if that makes sense yeah 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 okay so essentially my door was open, his door was closed, which is the way that it should have been, but his door, um, so like next to his door is just the standard chain link fence, but his door itself is supposed to be made out of pure steel. So there's not supposed to be any holes in it. Sometimes it's made out of bars, like bars that are vertically next to each other, but the space between the bars is like the, the size of a finger. And so, um, again, can't be dragged through, but the faulty gate, um, in this one was that his door was made out of bars that were about an iPhone's width apart, like take an iPhone Uh. four specifically. I don't know what the dimensions of an iPhone four is, but take one, turn it longward. So horizontally. And, um, that's the distance between the bars. And, uh, I, I mean, I, look, when I was in there, I was instructed to be there alone. Uh, and, uh, the, like I saw the bars, but I didn't think anything of them. It just didn't register that it was a danger until the lion came really, really close to the bars because he's used to humans. He was adopted really young. And the other lion was like out somewhere in her enclosure. She wasn't right there, but he was really, really close to the bars. And he was kind of just like rolling around and actually being playful and familiar. Um, and I wasn't touching him because you're not allowed to touch the lions, even through the gate when there's no supervision. So like, you know, we had pet them through the gate, uh, like through the chain link fence earlier that day, but we had supervision and the guy was literally like doing it with us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was instructed to be in there alone and I knew the rules. Uh, but by the same token, if a lion is that close to you, it's not like you're instructed to call for help. Like it's not supposed to be dangerous. It's just like, 
don't touch the gate and then like use common sense. So like generally try and stay maybe like a half foot away from the gate just in case, cause it's chain link. Right. So just in case they lunge, like you have a little bit of space, you don't need that much space. Right. You know? Yeah. So I was, but then when the line got really close to the, I call them jail bars. Um, I could see that like, as he was kind of sitting down, his paws were only a bit bigger than the width of two of the bars. And so this is the moment that I most regret in the sense that like, I felt a sense of danger. I could tell that something was a little off, but instead of saying something, I decided to think to myself, well, it has to be safe because why would they have put you in here if it wasn't safe? Like I didn't give them the credibility that maybe they could have made an error. Like it didn't, that's not the path that I took. Whereas it should have been, I should have been a little bit less trustworthy and thought like, Hey, maybe this isn't okay. So what I did was I was like, okay, this feels a little wrong, but I'm sure it's fine. So I'm just going to take an extra step back. Um, and not like, you know, normally you're about a half foot away at, at minimum. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I was like maybe like two feet now. Uh, and like, you can't really step more back than that because you're in a feeding cage. So there's only like a few feet that you can step back before you hit a wall. And also I'm five foot four and I was ducking to stand in there. So it's not very big. And then the lion, um, when I was cleaning it, like at this point, I'm not looking at him because I don't want to, I don't want to say provoke, but I just didn't really want to interact with him. I felt like he was too close, but I didn't mind him there. I just felt like it was, I didn't want to like, I don't know let him know that I was interested. I just kind of stopped looking at him. But then uh, he started following me with his eyes, which again, I ignored and didn't say anything because I was like, well, it must be fine. And then when I was sideways, so I wasn't turned facing him anymore, I was cleaning. He stuck his whole arm, like almost to the end of his arm width or arm length through the bars and was able to snatch my like lower calf. And then like that, like a, like a claw nail. Right. So the way that it digs into your, um, your, like it, it just pulls you, right? It's like a it's like a knife that's like concave up. Uh-huh. I don't know if that makes like it it it's a hook. It's like a fishing hook. Yeah, I was about, uh, that's exactly what I'm picturing. Like it it doesn't pierce. It's not like a bee sting where it's like a needle. No, this fucking thing. Like when it wants something, that's how it gets it, right? Like you see them hanging on to like zebras when the zebra's sprinting, and yeah, they're able to yeah, do that I, because they have claws like that. Do you own a cat? Like a, like a, I mean, I used to. Have you ever? Yeah. Okay. Um, you ever like, uh, rub your cat's belly, uh, and then it gets like overstimulated and it kind of like bites your hand and like, yeah, like kind of play, but okay. When it pulls your, do you ever notice like how when it did that to you, it would, uh, how it would use both of its paws and it almost like it has, it has wrists mm-hmm. and it pulls inwards? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Think about the wrists of a cat. I don't know if that, like, if I'm explaining this right, but it has, like, um, a hook to its arm and then in addition to that, a hook to its claw. Right. And so I know which scar it is on my leg that the, that the first snatch was from. Uh, I don't want to, it's not necessarily hook-shaped. Maybe it was inside, but it's small. That's the point. And so basically he pulled me through and then I don't know how, like, I don't know how this was so smooth, but my whole leg, the one that he caught, got pulled through the bar and I couldn't get it out because like my knee got stuck at the point of like, like my thigh was too big for it, but right. it was pushed through because it's all fat. Right. Yeah. But at the same time I was, I was 18. So a smaller girl. Um, I wasn't like anorexic, but I was like on the, I was like kind of pity five foot four. Right. <laughs> it, it It's like, I was almost too big 
to fit through there. And I did with force, but I couldn't pull myself out because I was too big to pull myself out. If yeah, that makes any sense. No, yeah, you're fucking jammed, dude. Like, yeah, yeah, you're jammed in there. And then when I tried to kick with the other leg, he just grabbed that other leg. Oh. So what I'm really great, and he pulled that one through too. So, so what I'm really grateful for is like he had, I, I'm pulled up to my thighs, right? So, oh, like to my upper thighs, like basically to my crotch. Yeah, and so, I was about to say, I thought you were going to say I was really grateful to have a crotch because that stopped you from getting drug in. Oh, I almost, I almost lost it because Holy he, sh- I have a scar like right, like on my extremely upper thigh. Uh, but I just got lucky because everything like crotch and up was accessible to him, but he just like didn't, he, you, you would have to stick his arm through the bars to get to other parts of me. Right. Um, so you're pulled, you're pulled like basically like as far as your legs can go, like crotch up to the wall. And then all of that is accessible to him. Plus like your face, but he didn't think to reach through the bars more because he had like the legs, which were completely pulled through. Right. And so that's all he really wanted, I guess. And he basically just used it as a chew toy. Um, but every, the, what did uh, like quicker damage than the biting was the uh, handling with his claws. That does more quicker damage. Not as intense damage because it, it doesn't pierce. Like it cuts, not pierce. But yeah, it did more like lacerations. The actual, the most pain that I still experience seven years later or six years later, um, seven now, is uh, a bite through my tibia, which is in your knee. And that it actually hurts right now. It hurts when I talk about it. It's very dull when it hurts when I talk about it. Sometimes it hurts more than others. And sometimes I have a little limp. Um, but again, pretty grateful that it's not worse. And that uh, you you saw like in the show, right? Like I, they showed a picture of my scars. So they're, they're all over the place, but they've healed quite nicely as you could probably see in the, in the show. Dude. So you said the animal, the lion used your leg as a chew toy. Like, how do you, like, when they're using it as a chew toy, it's just, like, a little nibble and they're gone? Or is he trying to, like, actually rip flesh and, like, eat? Um, I don't think that he was trying to rip flesh and eat because you can see uh, there are teeth marks. I mean, we're talking about, like, you can see four different teeth marks. So, like, the closed bite um, that went in and then he opens his mouth and then they go, the teeth go out. But if he had actually tried to rip off my leg, he could have just jerked his head. Right. And he didn't. So when I say a chew toy, I don't mean like small nibbles. I mean like he's biting me fully and scratching and completely closing his mouth. But I say chew toy only because he didn't jerk his head. Yeah. Right. And that would, that would have taken off the leg. Right. So Yeah. I mean, it didn't, I wouldn't call it playful, but. Oh no, I wasn't thinking, I'm, I, again, like just when, when you say chew toy, I think of a lion biting, um, like again, go into the nature videos of the zebras down and they're just, their neck snaps to the side, their mane kind of flies. Right. And like, you just see the flesh being ripped off of whatever it just killed. So I, I hadn't, I had never thought about that before. Like the chew toy, it's almost similar or when you like um, learn about sharks and a lot of shark attacks that they do that bite to kind of see what you are. And that's why so many people survive a shark attack because they're not biting to, to, to rip, to eat. They're almost biting to test. Yeah. Um, this line was also used to humans because he'd been orphaned as a cub. And so he'd been at the center for a long time. And then there was actually two lions, which people like the media just doesn't cover this, but his mate came and, and bit my foot as well. So she was there too. I think that they were exceptionally stressed because after about a minute or two, um, I was screaming for help and then help did come. 
and people were trying to pull me out. And like part of the tactic of doing that were like, there's only so many people that can fit in the feeding cage. And so other people who weren't able to fit or who didn't have room to kind of help would bang on the pots, like the cleaning pots and, and uh, with like their, their brooms just to make noise and ruckus mm-hmm. and that kind of spooked them. And so they almost like, although it worked, it's my understanding that that ruckus made them more aggressive in a sense, but oh. it ultimately was enough to get them off, but it angered them or spooked them. Jesus. So, so. Look, just for my picturing in my head, because Jesus, that's a lot. Your two legs, your crotch high into a bar, two lions now are nibbling. There's a couple people trying to grab you. Not, and- it's not nibbling. It's, it's aggressive biting. It's just, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Is it because they're not like they were kind of roaring and they were like growling. Jesus Christ, dude. And then the pots and yeah. pans are banging. And you said this is like minutes. I don't think sometimes people yeah. realize how long fucking minutes can be in traumatic experiences. Definitely multiple minutes. I can God. promise that. Jesus Christ. Because the thing is like, okay, so I get pulled through. Um, I didn't have a partner. And the reason why I didn't, because you're supposed to be in pairs of two, is because there was an uneven amount of volunteers in that area. And so I was instructed to be alone uh, for two reasons. One, well, I think it was three. One, because um, there was an uneven amount of people. So odd people. And then two, because I was one of the more experienced people at the, um, at the center at that time. Like I had been there longer than some of the others and three, because the cage was quite clean. So there wasn't much to scrub off. Um, and so the thing is though, when they left me there to clean it by myself, like we had just been as a group petting the lion through the chain link fence at the counselor's discretion. So like he actually told us and he said like, Hey girls, like, go over there and like we can all kind of touch the lion's fur as it rubs against the chain link fence and and that was amazing right we had a lot of fun um under supervision and so when he left he knew that the lion was literally rubbing himself up against the gate that was adjacent to my feeding cage and so it wasn't like a secret and so that's kind of also why i didn't go on high alert when he kept doing it right because i was like well the counselor knows counselor just left um so what was I saying? Yeah. Anyways, so I had to scream for help. And then one of the girls, her name was Emma. She came into my feeding cage and she, she saw what was happening. And her first instinct was to try and pull me out. So she put her arms under my armpits and started walking backwards. But she so quickly gave up because she realized that it was her versus one or two lines at that point. Um, and she ran away. And I remember her like later on, she apologized to me for running away. But I fully understood. I was like, I know why you did it. It's because you weren't going to be able to do this yourself and you wanted to get help. Like I fully understand. And I have like the opposite of resentment towards her for running away. I just, I thought it was so crazy when she apologized for not pulling me out Yeah, because she, you know, like, well, no, yeah, like what, just, what are you, what are you going to do? You can sit there and keep trying to drag you, but if you just physically no, don't do have right that thing. strength, wouldn't cool. that actually like almost make it more. And, and, and I don't want to like belittle it by saying playful, but like I, I'm thinking, uh, so I, I, have a, I have a dog and, you know, the more I pull on the rope, the more the dog pulls back and starts growling and almost like gets more primitive. Yeah. Well, it's my understanding that that's what happened. Right. Cause like when more people came through, um, a lot of the bigger and stronger people who knew more what they were doing there, uh, it took a chain. So like the, the counselor put his arms under my armpits and then started to pull back. And then it, I think, I, I mean, I don't know cause I can't see, right. Like I have a weird perspective of this, but like, I understand that it was a chain of people who were all walking back in like a train. Right. Jesus. Um, 
And then at a certain point it broke free, but I pulled my leg before they were there. I pulled my leg so hard to try and get it out of there. And even with all of my force, I couldn't pull it out. And I think I did some damage to my knee um, myself because of how hard I pulled my leg. Right. Like I, I kind of like damaged my uh, side nerves, like the ACLs. Um, and that was in part because of me, right? Cause I'm trying to pull as hard as I can. And like, you know how, when like a mom lifts a car for a baby, yeah, yeah. it was like, I think it was that level of strength, right? Because it was like everything that I had. And then once I exerted that strength, I almost like collapsed because I had nothing left in me. So <clears throat> like, I, I couldn't do it myself. It took like a group of, of men and women, like strong people right. in a train. And um, anyways, I was, I don't want to say I was fine, but I lived, right? <clears throat> As you can see, <laughs> I still have some, some lasting nerve damage, uh, obviously mental damage, right? That's a given, but like there is physical pain that I deal with chronically. And uh, there are some flexibility limitations that I have, but those aside, I'm exceptionally lucky and grateful for the turnout. I can walk. I don't have a noticeable limp. Um, and yeah, I had the privilege of going back to South Africa to reclaim my survival, right? Like who gets that? So how far the, apart are these cages? Or I mean, like, so when you said you got dropped off at the cage and then the counselor rolls out, like, are they going half a mile away or like, I, I guess I'm trying to picture uh, the setup. I would say that the separation between cages might be like the size of like an American backyard. Like, oh, like okay. you know, all right. Like it takes, it takes a second to walk. Like you can run it pretty quickly. Okay. But like, think, think about it this way. Okay. So the, the feeding cages, there's one per enclosure, right? So <laughs> they're at least as far apart as the enclosures, but a bit more because they're more like centered. Okay. Yeah, they're they're about as far apart as like a full line enclosure. Yeah, because then I'm just trying to the the time. It's funny, I'm not like a numbers person like you or whatever, but I'm trying to like think of the time and urgency, and you're surviving and help is trying to get there, and it's not like there's just a bunch of people around that can immediately help you, which is like what's so striking to me about like how fucking scary that is. That it's like you're you're on your own for a bit there. That's that's fucking. Oh yeah, nuts. you're on your own, and and also, um, like, it. I mean, so you're on your own, right? And then you scream for help, and then Emma gets there, and then she leaves again, right? Yeah. And then that was a weird amount of time because I was like, well, do I just wait or do I continue to fight, right? And I I continue to fight and try, but it's at the same point like you you realize that there's a strength imbalance and what are you supposed to do give up like i remember wanting to take a nap it was an irrational thought but i really wanted to go to sleep which is like what happens when you're dying right and i i didn't uh i was able to pull through it and realize it was not a logical thought but that was like the worst right so after i called for help and then she left but again like i'm really grateful that she did leave because without that she wouldn't have been able to pull me up herself and are you when you're fighting back are you kicking your legs because if you're jammed in there the mobility for your legs to to use them yeah. to ward them off it has to be super limited right so when i say fighting back it's more like trying to get out um yeah right usually so there was two lions like i said but the second one came after help did okay so i was fighting off one and again when i say fighting i mean trying to get out yeah. and so usually he only had leverage on one leg so what I would try and do is take the other leg and pull it out, which is why I did so much damage to my knee because there was a point where my left leg was available 
mm-hmm. and I was able to try and pull it out. I don't remember if it had been bit at that point. I couldn't feel a thing. Uh, I could feel like heat and sting and stinging, but not pain just yet. And I was really concerned about that because I was thinking, well, how much longer do you have before it starts to hurt? And um, quite a while, like uh, until I got pulled out, only after that did it start to hurt. So Jesus, that's yeah, amazing to me too. So like you you almost went numb down there during the attack. Yeah. You do. Well, I, um, Holy shit. I was hit by a car in 2009 and um, this was this so the lion attack. I don't consider it to be my fault. I just consider the fact that I could have said something, um, which I didn't, because I thought that you know the gate wasn't faulty. Um, but the the car accident was partially my fault, where I crossed on a red, and I just didn't I didn't know what I was doing. Like it wasn't intentional. It was an accident. But then the car didn't see me, so it was kind of like a like you know, who's to blame there. And, uh, it hit me like really, really fast. And I was on a bike and the bike like ripped out a chunk of, of my leg. I was like 15 years old and that didn't hurt either, but it was exceptionally scary. And, uh, I was okay, but I don't know if you can see that. Like I have a particularly large dent on one of my legs in the show. Uh, I did not notice it. I was too busy okay. staring at all the blur. We just look at the tattoos, the tattoos and the blurring is so weird to just see people walk around and focusing on like, how are they going to use the bag? Who, what, what part of their body do they really want to cover up? Or like, do they just not care? And it's flapping. You know (laughs) why we have bags? What? You know what the bag is for? To sit on, to gather food. (laughs) Oh, this is funny. Okay. Um, so this is, uh, not really a secret, but we don't really talk about it like on the show, but it's online, you can find it. So the bag is because we need mics, because uh, we're walking around, right? So oh, how are you gonna hear shit. it? So like they give you a bag and like you do sit on it, but you might notice that we're always wearing the bag, right? like always. It's yeah. because there's a mic in it. So like the way that the bag works on the inside is like, it is an open bag, but there's a pouch on the side of the bag that's Velcroed and the mic is in there and you're not allowed to use that pouch because um, it's it's concealed for the mic. And then the wire of that mic goes through the armband or the, 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 the shoulder band of the bag. Okay. And then it comes out the top of the band into the back of your necklace and then it through your necklace into the little stone thing and then there's a mic in there i fucking knew it i knew the necklace was the mic jesus confirmed yeah (laughs) like yeah um sometimes uh they have to take the mic out of there because you're going in the water but besides then uh you're wearing a mic that's why they have the mics Hmm. yeah and, and uh, sometimes you don't need the mic, like you don't need the mic at night because in South Africa, it depends on the, the this episode, but where we were at night, you're not allowed to leave your BOMA. Like you're just not allowed, even if you want to get water. It's like something that we sign off on. It's just too dangerous um, because they do leave you alone. And so you'd be in like lion territory without any form of protection. Not that the BOMA is like that crazy, right? But it yeah. is a slight form of protection. Um, pretty effective, actually. And uh because of that, they were just able to set up kind of like boom mics around our little uh, boma area. Like a boma, by the way, is an African term for an enclosure that's made out of fallen trees and, and large twigs and things like that. Uh, it's just like a, like a nest of like a circle. Yeah. Nest. doesn't have to be a circle, but it usually is. And uh, so within our boma, we were able to take the mic out of our bag and we were able to use our bag a little bit more freely as like a... Uh, being the smallest person on the challenge in that episode like I was able to really sit on it properly and I was able to like during the day I could like 
I would wear it, but I could sit on it while wearing it. If that makes sense. Like I could sit down and put it behind my butt as like a seat. Yeah. Whereas the men couldn't really do that. It was not long enough for them. So that was great. (laughs) The advantage. Yeah. So I heard in previous seasons that the bag used to have a liner inside of it and that what you could do is like, this was not the case on my episode, but apparently you could take the liner and like pull it inside out to double the floor space of the bag. Oh, yeah. And then it was like a tiny bed, but, um, no, like you have to understand we use this bag so much. Like I would take the strap of the bag and try and lay it like as in a way that it gave me the most space to lie on. It was so prickly on the ground. It was awful. I hated those feelings. I hate, I still think about them. So, yeah, so, and th- this was the funniest part. And this is what my daughter found most hilarious um and she couldn't wait because she had seen the episode and then we re- rewatched it and she's like you're gonna love I-, I forget how it happens but you're gonna love it and then they do like the um i forget whatever the segment is but you had a couple ticks in your ass oh yeah <laughs> so, really really so I, there's, there's obviously more to the story than what they showed but, but like um so basically i'm sitting down and like we all have ticks and the way that i don't know if you've ever gotten bit by a tick uh, yeah, once or twice, but I didn't feel like I found it. I didn't feel it when it happened. And then I'm like, you know, digging it out and trying to, it's all bloody. Yes, yeah, so dig. Right. And you gotta be careful with that because you don't want to like pop them yeah. or like, or like, you know, break them while they're attached to you. Um, and like some people twist, some people pull it, It's weird. A tick really sticks to you. And so I didn't actually get that many ticks. I found that the men got more of them than I did but my butthole was really itchy and so I'm scratching it like no shame right this is making them afraid like they're not gonna whatever like you just you know I wasn't even thinking about it and then it was so itchy and it didn't hurt but I was like Danelle like I need you to just double check I think that there might be a tick in my butt and so I spread my butt and she was like yeah there is and so I called the medic and um I asked her if she could take them out because like sometimes they'll intervene like that but it's at their discretion um and she was like well no because your life is not in danger you have ticks in your butt I'm like (laughs) I don't like I'm not gonna do it this is making it afraid and so I was like well I need help and she was like I'll help you and so she (laughs) this is her version of helping on Nathan afraid she goes to a thorn bush and like pulls off a thorn and gives it to me and says here you go I was like are you kidding like thanks so much you gave me a thorn and um so I tried to do it myself but I couldn't do it because I couldn't see what I was doing like even if I were to hold a mirror there it's like too upside down I can't see what I'm doing and so then I just like what you saw I had to you know bend over and Danelle pick them out and um I did it wasn't embarrassing it was just like fine <laughs> dude that's <laughs> What made me think of it is like the irony of like you get to have this bag and this extra protection and then at the same time you're the one that gets like ticks in your ass and now you're the person that has ticks in your ass. (laughs) Yeah, like how how am I supposed to prevent that, right? I don't know how they got in there. Um, It wasn't on the cheek. It was like in the pucker of the asshole. Really (laughs) like, you know, it's there. So then I'll just... Jesus. Oh, so then the ticks aren't like... Uh, I'm thinking it takes Northeast like Lyme disease. Like that's actually a real serious fucking thing. If you get a tick here, like that is life threatening. It's not in Africa. Like the ticks are just sucking your blood, but there's no like after effects of that. I mean, there's a risk, but I think I'm not actually sure to be honest. Like they didn't mention anything about it. And like, I feel great. Gotcha. Dude, that's, I don't, 
think I have one unless it could be asymptomatic I should really look into this people have been telling me this forever but like none of my partners mentioned anything about it and we all got bit by ticks right so it's not like I got bit more than them yeah but yeah this is definitely like an irresponsible move on my case and like I I've always said like if ever something happens Lyme disease is the first one I'm gonna check for um but I'm gonna do some research figure out if that's asymptomatic um just to see if I should get tested for that yeah because well there there's one case where um shit I was reading about it um I think like you become allergic to meat and you're because you were bit by a tick and it's like very rare, but like if you eat meat, you could go into um, prophylactic shock and die something like that. Like that's serious in some cases. Yeah. And we have like state forests and you go for hikes and it's a huge thing when you're out there um, walking around is like the deer ticks are just freaking nuts and um, people catch Lyme disease and it just, it fucks them up. Not to put fear in you. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be speaking that stuff into existence. That's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell my doctor about it probably when like Corona is a bit more died down because I know the priorities yeah. are a bit like uh, right. different right now, but um, something I'm going to mention. Like I said, I, if, if I did have it, I'd be asymptomatic. Um, and uh, yeah, I got luckily I, I don't think I got malaria because that was a threat. I, I want to ask because you said like you weren't even uncomfortable with this. And again, you've known this person for a couple days at this point, maybe eight or nine. Cause well, now, yes, for a couple of days, right? Cause I only met her on day 11, yeah. like day 14. Okay. Yeah. So three days in you're bending over spreading and like with, like she's digging ticks out of your pucker. Um, when did you get to the point where you were just fine with, or are you always just like fine being that like free and open? <laughs> like, okay. So I, I know I'm not always fine, free and free and open, but also like, you gotta be logical about it. Like the, there's a, like, like what do you think she's gonna think less of you like it's not reasonable (laughs) to think that right it's just unfortunate and I remember like when I asked her I felt like a little bit antsy asking her just because it was like I gotta ask you to say yes to this man like you gotta say yes yeah there's no way she says no right somebody yeah it was more like I was afraid of her being uncomfortable with it um Mm. but okay so it was really funny after that was done Rod was like, what's going on? And I was like, Danelle just picked three ticks out of my ass. And he was like, oh, sweet. Can you pick one under my armpit? And Danelle was like, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't show that, but it happened. Dude, this is why primates are so close, right? Because they like, um, they clean each other, right? And that's that's part of like what makes monkeys so lovable. So you were just cool. Like how long did it take you before you were like willing to like sit with your legs open or some shit like that. Cause that, that's what like I, that that's the body language that we always look at is like, it seems at first people are tight and they're using the bag to like still cover themselves up. And then like they hit a point where they're just like, I don't give a fuck. And they're just lounging like they would if they had clothes on. So I'll tell you a bit about like the nakedness of it. Um, so, okay. I'm not like a free spirited hippie, but I'm also like not a conservative man. Like I fall somewhere in the middle. I try and be reasonable. Right. Right. Like being naked is like weird, but it's not like the most shameful thing that a person can do. Right. It's just weird. And so I think like most people, um, I feel more comfortable being naked in front of like somebody like, let's say like it's your doctor. Right. It's not that bad. It's weird, but it's not that bad. And so that's kind of how I tried to interpret the situation. Right. I was like, what I'm more worried about is like the producers and stuff. Uh, I just feel like that would be weird because they're dressed, but with the, with the other naked person, I feel like they're going to be nervous too. And so you kind of vibe off of that 
shared nervousness. But here's the crazy thing, okay? I didn't think about it too much. I was more worried about like the fact that I felt underqualified for the show and was like, I hope that like I know enough to be on here. And like I did, uh, I wasn't physically strong enough to hold my weight 100% of the time. Um, but I knew more than I needed to, which was excellent. And so, uh, not in all respects, but in some respects, like I was really, I really crammed in a lot of info. That was my main goal. But anyways, coming into it, like we were, so, I got there on like a, a Friday. I don't remember the day of the week, but basically I think it was like two and a half days later was insertion. And throughout those two and a half days, they were supposed to like set up cameras, just tell you like how the technical part of the show works. Cause it is a show. Right. And so like, um, like they don't want to break the continuity of the challenge more than they need to. So you do need to know like a bit of how things work. That makes sense. It's not as in like, like, as in like, Hey man, we're going to do like the one-on-one interview thing every three. Yeah. So there's like like a list of terminology that you learn. So for example, an OTF stands for on the fly. And like, that is when you see like a close up of the person's head and it's like a side interview. And so like, uh, this is standard procedure in TV, but depending on how much time you have in the day, sometimes you'll need to do an OTF about an event that has already happened. Um, like, uh, think about it like this, okay? You have uh, you have two people who are fighting, and then it's like somehow you're also sh- like uh, switching to interviews of these people talking about the fight. Like, you know that that's not possible, right? Like, yeah, yeah. these interviews happened after the fact. And so just like how to work with that, like what the schedule of a general day is in terms of filming when they leave you alone. And so that was supposed to take two and a half days. Also um, some basic training for the area. Like we got to talk to some local guides um, and then I was supposed to get naked. But what happened was um, there was like a hiccup where one of the four of us uh, wasn't able to do the show last minute for like whatever reason. I don't know if it was like their fault or the show's uh, or whatever it was, but this happens in, in television. And they had to like fly in Rod, who was a replacement with like zero days notice. Oh, wow. Okay. So they fly him in, but think about it. It's South Africa. So I don't know if you've ever been, but it takes almost three days to get there. No, or, like, didn't know that. You. So y- you have a really long flight. Like we're talking like maybe a 13 hour flight plus a general, like a decent size layover plus one or two more flights plus another layover. Got you. God. So it's about, it's, it's at least two, two days. Okay. And so they had to call Rod and get him to sign like a million papers with the discovery and like get him to, no, it's, it's more like you also have to send in information. So like he needs to like make sure that he's vaccinated and like taken care of and had his medicine and medication. And so it took seven days, which isn't that crazy. It's just like what it is with the flight time for Rod to like put his life on hold, get everything set up for the show and then fly in and then get integrated really quickly into like the tactics of how this is going to work. And so think about it this way. I have now been hanging out with these Rangers and producers for seven days. And these are like borderline my friends. Right. And now you have to get naked in front of all of your friends. And that <laughs> is very uncomfortable and very weird. I was way more okay with getting naked in front of strangers, but now I felt like they knew my personality. And I was like, I don't know. Like it was, it felt like a bad dream. It was definitely like traumatizing. You just, so I call it trauma mode. Like when something traumatic is happening, sometimes you just kind of like leave your body and you're just dead. It was like that. I, I just, it is what it is. I knew it was going to happen, you know? I'm over it. <laughs> it's not like I go to bed and like cringe at it. You know, I'm over it. <laughs> but Did, that was weird. I, yeah, I, 
That's interesting. It was more, it was awkward because you felt like you were being naked with your friends because they would like judge you or because you're like, I don't want you to know me as the naked girl now, or. I don't, I don't know what it was. So I'm not necessarily self-conscious about my body, but like, okay. So when somebody sees you naked for the first time, it's supposed to be a mutual thing and it's, it's not Uh... supposed to be like that clinical. So you're not supposed to like, it's not, it was very like robotic. Like it's like, okay, take off all your clothes. It's just like weird. You're like, you pants or shirt, you know, like we want, like, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it's very odd. Like you have never done that. Um, and so I almost feel like I was the one who was being inappropriate in a way. Oh, okay. Like, like, like I was being a creep. I like, why are you getting naked woman? Right. You know, like I wanted to be like, are you sure that you want me to do this? Like, don't freak out when I do it, you know? <laughs> um and then it's just like you see all their faces and they're straight faced but you're like they're all thinking something I'm like I'm confident with my body it's just weird to know that they're thinking like either like nice or like oh it's just weird I don't know (laughs) yeah that's actually I hadn't thought about that is it the same kind of group of like cameramen and producers or are they like yeah right so like for them you're like the 85th ass that they've seen right like like they're just oh there's there's another crotch oh there's another like that has to be really odd from their standpoint too right like that has to change the way that they basically interact with people and the way they see people in civilization yeah maybe but um like there a lot of people are desensitized to it but uh so there's the producers who are like uh most of them are american um and then there are the South African producers and rangers. So it's like two filming companies that team up okay. for um, like location-based episodes. And um, some of the uh, South African uh, rangers who I'd gotten closer to, like I felt like that was the weirdest because it's like they see naked people less than the producers because they're rangers, right? So it's like they're not always on Naked and Afraid. Okay. Um, so I felt weirder in front of them also because I was close with like one or two of them. And they like, what made me like so uncomfortable was the fact that like when I glanced over at one of them, he was actually like looking away probably as a sign of respect. And I was like, that makes it weird because the fact that you're looking away means that you're not desensitized to it. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. these subtleties? Yeah. 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 I'm with you now. And then like within we're talking 20 minutes, we're just naked people. It's fine. It's all good. That yeah, that quick, huh? You're just like, oh, gotta get some water. Um, you have to consider the fact that the whole scene is abstract and and unfamiliar from what you're what you're used to. So it's one thing if you're naked in your place of work, where it's like these two things don't match, right. but nothing matches. You're in South Africa. You're not used to that. You're now like uh, on a reality TV show. That's weird. You're in a job, like not a jungle, the bush, like that's weird. So it was just like a layering of weird things that were all unfamiliar. So it was easy to just kind of group them all as like, this is what this situation is, as opposed to like, I'm naked in a familiar situation. Yeah. That's, that's, I, that's a really interesting way to put it. That's true. It's just like, yeah, this is a part of a new experience. So it's normal to be naked like that. Was it weird? Yeah. Like when you got back and like did clothes and stuff, or like you you hit the ride and they like put the whatever the blanket the rope thing around or sometimes they just leave you naked in like the back for a while <laughs> and like well, they, they do the long they ride did. like well, was it weird coming back civilization putting on clothes getting wrapped up take a while to get so used the, to that like they put us in a in a robe 
Um, and so I stayed in that robe for the duration of time that I spent making calls to my family. And then I took a shower. Um, and so putting on the clothes themselves wasn't like that good because I already had like the robe and stuff. Um, it was more like I felt like really gaunt and loose in the clothes. The weirdest thing for me was actually the phone. So um, when I got taken out of the bush, uh, we did some final OTFs. They were giving us food, but we had to, OTF is on the fly interview. And so we had to, we were eating like uh, some food and, and doing these interviews. And I saw one of the producers take out his phone. And there's a couple of rules that these guys got to follow. And one of them is that they're not allowed to like, they, they're, they're not supposed to like show you their phones. Um, they right. don't want you to see technology when you're out there besides like the necessary camera equipment. And so I hadn't seen an iPhone in 21 days and I have an iPhone and I, ha I had just gotten like a new upgrade. Right. So I had the XR at the time and he had the same phone as me, but I didn't recognize it as an XR when I saw it because it looked so thin and like spacey. And you know how phones look thin without a case? Yeah. It had a case. But I was like, that's the thinnest phone I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, can I see that? And he was like, what? And I was like, your phone. And I was like, did a new iPhone come out? And he was like, what? No, this is like the old one, you know? And then when I, it was, it was such a futuristic looking device. And when I pulled out my phone um, and Danelle had the same experience, I was furious because I realized that they had given me the wrong phone. Like they had swapped it with someone else. And I was like, well, I'll just turn it on to see whose phone it was. And it was mine. And I was like, what? Like, it, just, it wasn't registering. And then when I turned it on, um, it was like, it was like a drug that I hadn't done yet. Like, the colors looked like a rip in the portal of natural dimensions. <laughs> it was so clear. And I was like, technology has sur has surpassed me like this is amazing like it, it was dizzying like I actually sat down seeing it it was weird oh my god dude in just 21 days in just 21 days technology has surpassed me that's amazing so I this is my hypothesis here is that like I'm looking at my computer now I'm looking at the zoom screen and I don't really notice this normally but like it's very crisp like the graphics and like there's no blurred, there's no blur. Right. It's very sharp. And I hadn't seen sharpness like that for 21 days. Like artificial sharpness, like color on color. Like I can see like the color red and then the color white. And then there's no like, there's no, like the, the sun doesn't play any effect to how those colors contrast. Like it's just, and you're not used to seeing things like that. So very odd. What I did see though, um, was we had our diary cams, right? And oh, yeah. so I would video things on my diary cam and then sometimes I'd watch it back just to see what it looked like because I was bored at night. Um, and so I did see that screen, but like the diary, like, I don't know, it was different than like a like a bubbly iPhone screen. Right. Very different. Like, I totally thought that I was going to like get um, really like uh, preoccupied in, in the settings of the camera, but it was so boring that I rarely ever used it. God, huh. Yeah, just to like kill time or something like that, huh? Yeah, um, it wasn't really like that. Like, there's not much time to kill when you're really, really cold. Like, all you can do, like, imagine you're extremely, extremely cold. It's hard to also be bored. Yeah, right. You're focusing on how to warm up. What um did you get to tell them when you're coming back? Like, Jesus, can you please just have a Snickers bar waiting for me after 21 days? Or are they just giving you like medically? They have to say, man, you're this malnourished. So here's like a Cliff bar or some specially like nutrient so, um, thing there's 
two camps of people, apparently, on the show. One of them are the kind of people who don't get any solace in talking about food. So, like, they just kind of ignore the fact that it exists. Whereas with us, all four of us were foodies. So we got a lot of satisfaction out of talking about food in like sexual detail, like too much. Okay. <laughs> I'd, I'd be like, and where do you think the salsa is going to hit on your tongue when we eat a taco? You know, I'd, I'd be like, I think the back, like on the side, you know, we really would talk about it that much. And so the producers knew what foods we wanted to eat. And one of the rules of them is that they're not supposed to talk to you about food or eat in front of you. And so um there was one producer rick where he's mexican um and i was like really obsessed with this because i was like i know that like your family probably makes really good tacos and he was like lauren go away and i was like please <laughs> just tell me about your traditional meals like please i really want mexican food <laughs> and so then he'd be like like sometimes he'd let it slip he'd be like well you got to try the guacamole because it makes it like this i'm like stop so I'm like well not and anyways um, at one point he was like, Lauren, you know, I'm not allowed to talk about this. And I said, well, can you just listen? And he was like, I can listen, you know, like at the wall. And I told him all the foods that I wanted and I would make multiple producers listen to the foods that I wanted. Um, and they'd get extremely annoyed with me, but they'd just like, let me, let me get it out. Right. <laughs> um, and tell the camera. And so they know what foods I'm craving. And so they kind of like tried to get some of those foods for me, um, when I came out, but here's the problem. Okay. When I said that we got out and we did some interviews um, right after the fact, like we had a big, big lunch prepared for us, but they wanted us to like shower and get freshened up. Uh, oh no, they didn't actually. Never mind. They had a big cast party that night for everybody, but we got to get freshened up before that. But so I was ready for like the pre-lunch, which was also really big. But um, and we ate that lunch like in our robes, like we weren't even dressed. It was so funny. But before that lunch. Um, they needed to like get everything taken down and like, so that they could put it in the car and stuff. And so during that time they were doing our final interviews and they had like a snack table, but the thing is the snack table didn't have fresh produce on it. Cause that was at the lunch that was coming up. Um, and so like my first mouthfuls of food were from the snack table and it was all like non-perishable. So like cookies, peanut butter, chips, um, soda nice. <laughs> it was like a very weird first thing. Um, and so I was more drawn towards the uh, protein-based foods like peanut butter. But, um, yeah, Diggy had a Coke. Really? <laughs> Just waiting for that Coke. Was it so, like yeah. – I've never, I've never even fasted, and I've spoken to a bunch of people who fast. But, like, is it weird eating food when you have it? Like, doesn't your stomach actually shrink and you, like, take one bite and you're like, oh, cool, I'm full? Or is it not like yeah. that? You're just gorging. Um. Okay. Well, mm, okay. You ever, you've been to all you can eat buffets, right? Oh yeah. So I don't know if you realize this, but if you go into an all you can eat buffet too hungry, you probably, cause you kind of just said it, you get full fast. Right. But if you go into an all you can eat buffet, like a little less hungry, but still hungry, then you can eat a lot more. And so like, yes, um, you do get full, uh, faster like there it was a weird feeling because like when we'd kill an animal and eat as much of it as we wanted like in our minds unlimited meat i get like full but i wasn't satisfied because i was nutrient deficient because i wasn't having any like uh like i got my protein in there right but i was missing um like sodium and uh well, what's it called like vitamin c and like just, i don't even ugh, like I, I was missing like calcium like just, just things that you would get from from fruits and, and vegetables right. right like you need um 
potassium particularly I was craving bananas like it was nobody's business and so you felt um this is a bit dramatic but it is true you felt like you were dying uh but like in a soft way so like in a very like it is my time to go my body is leaving the earth like that was the vibe (laughs) um even when you were full and then as for like did we gorge ourselves so we did gorge ourselves um when we got to the lunch and it was a little bit different. So like you could get full off of a few bites, but we were also able to gorge ourselves more than I ever have. So it was like a mix, if that makes sense. Like you could, you, you could get full, but you could also go forever. And I think it's because our bodies were starving right. and that gorging didn't stop for almost a month. <laughs> You're just steady. Jesus, like that might be the worst nightmare. How fucking much money did you go or did you drop like when you went food shopping the first time back? Because, you know, they say like if you go food shop when you're hungry, you're just fucking grabbing everything. I don't even remember. What I do remember is like, um, so after the cast party, uh, they sent us home pretty soon after. And then I had a two day kind of layover in Johannesburg. Uh and so I had to stay at a, an airport hotel and I like, they give you a stipend um, so that you can like get like your daily intake of, of meals, but Johannesburg is pretty cheap. And so I was able to get a lot of food with the stipend and you can also pay for more on your own. Okay. Um, and I, so that was free. Right. And, and I remember <laughs> like I ordered a cheesecake to the room and burgers to the room and like sushi. And uh, yeah, that was good. I ate all you can eat buffets a lot during that time. Like I would go and find them in the hotel or like around and, and just pay the set price. And then when I got home, I live alone, but I stayed at my parents' house for a few days. And I just, uh, I told them exactly what I wanted to eat. Like I told them what my first meal had to be and they did a great job. And uh, yeah, they just fed me. So I don't remember what it was like the first time I went grocery shopping. I just remembered that I really wanted to be like cared for for a few days. And I, I was. That's awesome. Yeah. Like that's an aspect that, I don't think about, but Jesus, like when you, when you take a moment to think like 21 days without just basic takeout, like we are so, and the, the quarantines like really pointed this out, how restaurant and out food dependent we are versus home cooked. And like um, yeah, coming and back also, to I'm that, like greatest, Jesus. I'm, I'm not the greatest cook. And I think that a skill that I'm missing and that a lot of people are missing is how to grocery shop appropriately, because I don't know about you guys, but I find that because I don't cook very much. Like I have like my basic meals because I do live alone and I try and be relatively healthy. Um, but I, I'm not very good at like economizing at the grocery store. So I find that like, let's say I tell myself that I want to make a certain recipe and then I go to the store and I buy all those things. It's like just as expensive as if I were to eat out. And then the the point is like, oh, but you're buying like sauces that you can reuse. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, it still doesn't make sense. Like even if you account for that, it's still really expensive. Yeah. And the other thing I think people sometimes forget too, is the time and convenience. So like if it takes plus you got dishes and all that shit, like I think I've tried to monetize that. I'm like, yeah, it, it is a little expensive to whatever pay 15 bucks for a burger, another six bucks for a beer. It's $21, but like you leave a tip, whatever, $30 meal. But if you think about the time that it takes you to do that, like, wouldn't I pay myself $30 an hour to work? And then on top of it, I'm getting fed, right? So like now I've opened up $30 worth of my own time where I can go for a jog. I can clean the house. You can just do other shit. And it's like, if you think about it that way, plus you're helping the economy. Like it kind of does make sense to eat out a little more because it's set up for you. It's convenient. Yeah. 
No, I just find every time I go to the grocery store, I'm spending just as much. And like, you do need to be a little bit more penny pinching. Like you need to look for things that are on sale. And I'm like, I don't have that kind of time. Like, I mean, I do, if it were a priority to me, obviously. Um, But yeah, I'm going to try like meal prep services are quite expensive, but when you think about how much you eat out, it actually might be worth it for a lot of people. Yeah. I think the meal prep, and I haven't gone down the road, but I think the meal prep could be, um, like almost worth looking into the prepackaging. I feel bad with all the waste. I feel like it's kind of wasteful. Um, yeah, but, um, Oh, I wanted to ask before we go down that road, how nasty is that shower water when like that first shower after all those days, man, is it just okay, black? So, I mean, uh, yes. <laughs> so, okay. Like tar, right? <laughs> there is not with naked and afraid, a standard procedure, like play by play as to how things are supposed to go once you get extracted. It's totally dependent on when your flight back is and like what the availability of everybody is. And like, anyways, so also it's not clear how long it's going to take for everything to get kind of put away. So like that took longer than we had anticipated because one of our cars broke down when we, we were like naked in it and they were extracting us <laughs> and, broke down and that cut out like 30 minutes. So anyways, they bring us to this hotel. We each got our own room. And when they, they gave us, um, I think it was a little under an hour and a half before the cast party. And so like, it was, it was just like really tight, but basically think about it this way. You've just eaten, you're extremely full. You haven't slept in days. All you want to do is sleep and call your parents and take a long shower. And you have an hour and a half to do all of that. And like, I had dreadlocks basically in my hair. <laughs> and and so I needed more than an hour and a half to do that properly. And I really, really mean that. I spent um, 30 minutes on the phone, maybe 35, trying to call everybody just to tell them I was okay. And then when I got into the shower, it wasn't enjoyable. It was more like, I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to brush out all my hair mm. and like make sure that I'm actually clean and brush my teeth. Um, oh shit, I forgot about the teeth. How fucking, oh, okay. I'll, I'm going to ask you about that too. <laughs> yeah so the teeth are really really awful basically your gums uh so I know to like try and massage my gums if I ever do this again because they were bleeding so profusely and then we all got ulcers in our mouth which mm. were extremely painful yeah uh all bled from my mouth so much like our mouths were on fire so that was awful and like it was just like like muddy water it was traumatic like it wasn't relieving it was it was um it it was like Imagine if you're getting like extracted from the woods in a helicopter, like, is that relieving? Yes. But you're also still in trauma mode. And you're like, you're like, I need to get into that helicopter, you know, it's still in that kind of mood. But I will say that the first shower that I consider to be my true first shower was a day or two later after I got to Johannesburg and they put me in the hotel because I had a layover. And um, I was able to spend two days taking a very slow shower. (laughs) And I, I went into the airport because I had two days of time to kill. Um, basically, I got there in the morning, slept there for one night, and my flight was at night. So that's what I mean by two days. And so I was able to go to the pharmacy where, like, they kind of have, like, beauty bath products. And I was able to buy, like, as much stuff as I could for, like, the shower and the bath. Just, like, exfoliants. Um, I needed to get, like, a foot cream because I had, like, um, the risk of a fungal infection because I had so many piercings on my foot from the thorns. Um, and just, like, self-care, right? Like... I, I I don't know if you can relate to this, but a lot of women in my life 
are cream hoarders. So like we'll go to um we're like women are like a not not all women, but a lot of my friends are obsessed with creams. And so we'll go to like farmer freeze and just buy multiple body butters and then hoard them for like six years. <laughs> okay. Um, and I told myself, I was like, you are allowed to buy whatever body butter you want. And um usually I don't need that much of it, but I bought like this cocoa butter from Nivea. It was a big, big tin. And I'm not kidding. I used half of it on my body. My body was like a sponge. I've never seen my skin absorb moisture like that. Dude, it had to be like, I'm I'm wondering like how many showers till you actually feel clean? Because you have to just like, you go back to like, there are ticks by my asshole pucker. And you're like, you have to like rub some crevice of your body and like, oh my God, there's still fucking African dirt in me. Right? Yeah. After the first shower, no, I didn't feel clean. I felt more like I'm ready to go to this cast party. Um... But after, like, I took a bath at Johannesburg Hotel, and then I took a shower after that, and then I put cream all over my body. And as I lay in bed, I felt clean, but I didn't feel, like, I felt like I was in a place where I was allowed to rest. But it didn't, it, it, I don't know. It, it, it felt good, but not, like, in a luxurious way. Like, I felt, like, healed. Right. Like I was healing. And, and I think that that's a really good and rare feeling to feel your body like regenerating and healing. Like I felt safe, but I felt very chickeny and skinny and like gaunt. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember hugging my legs and thinking like, oh God, like, <laughs> so yeah, sense of safety. So I would say that shower. So I guess two, but like the second shower was like, I think it was three, four hours. No way. Good for you. Jesus. Oh, yeah, maybe was, I think it was three hours if I'm going to be realistic, but it also included a bath. Right. Oh my God. So I took a bath and I was so pruney and it was so disgusting because I came out of the shower and I was all pruney and I was so skinny and like, you just, you feel sick. Oh, that's a good Not point too. Cause you don't really get to see yourself, the deterioration. The first time you're hitting a fucking mirror after 21 days and your body shriveled up, right? I didn't even think about that. Or are you seeing yourself? Like, do you catch reflections where you can say, wow, I've changed? Okay, so you can kind of see yourself in the water when you're there and on the bottom of your pot. Like if you, like the wet pot, if you look into it, you can see your face back at you. But you can also see yourself on the camera. So if you turn the camera towards you, like the, it's like a diary cam, right? So you can see yourself as you walk into it. Okay. So- you have an idea, but it's different than seeing yourself in a mirror. Right. You know, it was really embarrassing. Okay. Um, people love embarrassing moments on Naked and Afraid. So um, it was actually Diggy. And basically, he grew this really, really long beard. Uh, and I thought it looked really cool. And so it was just how I was used to seeing his face. And I expected that when I came out of the 21 days and we were at the cast party, I just expected that he looked like that, but dressed. Uh-huh. And he had shaved his beard. And you know, like when babies cry when their dad shaves their beard? <laughs> Do babies have beards? Oh, you mean when a father shaves his own beard and the baby sees yeah. it? Yeah, because that, they don't recognize instantly. him because it's such a distinctive feature. And when yeah, Diggy yeah. shaved his, he has a big face. And I was like, wow, like there's so much skin, you know? <laughs> and he looked so different. Um, and I'm really sensitive to when people shave their beards. And so it was really shocking. And then also like, he like, he like was wearing like an earring which I didn't know that he wore just like a, like a, like a masculine one, but I was like, what's that? And he was wearing like, like, I just got to see like his style and like, he just, he was a different person from what I had expected him to be. Like I kind of expected Dude. it to be consistent, you know, That's and I could thing. see like a different version of his personality 
coming out in the way that he would choose to present himself. And it was just not what I expected because you're only seeing somebody naked, right? Yeah. And yeah, that dude, that's so true. So you're basing, God, I hadn't thought about that either. The, the, like our style says so much about how we fit in and what we do. Like, oh my God, you're a backwards hat wearing guy. Oh my God, you're a skinny right. jeans dude. Oh, you're into flip flops. Like, and you get right. none and of that. It's not to say that like Diggy's style was so intense to say like, oh, he was a goth, but it's just yeah. like, no. I expect you to wear something different. I don't even remember what he was wearing. I don't remember. No, but I, I um, and, and Rod too, Rod too, and Danelle too. I was like, okay, so this is how you guys choose to present yourself. Diggy was the most shocking for me because he had shaved off his massive beard. And so I felt like he was a different person. Right. Dude, that's such a great point. How much thought did you put thought into my after naked afraid outfit? Like you, you were, did that, did that cross your mind? You're like, Oh my God, i really yeah. have this great dress that I'm going to rock or zero because think about it this way. Okay. Like, okay. Yeah. You don't know yes how much no. you're going to so lose. I, right. What? You just don't know like what your body's going to be like. Or, so I'm like thinking of, as a girl, like you might have like your go-to outfit, right? Like, so you're going to the club. You're like, oh, I'm looking hot in this thing. Like th- I, I look amazing when I put this on. But then after 21 right. days, do you even know what fucking is your outfit anymore? Well, you have a set amount of outfits that you bring, which is like, I only brought like three. Um, and so I had to keep cycling through them when we got delayed by a week, you know, cycle. <laughs> but anyway, I didn't really have that much option, but I did have like things that I felt more confident in. And I did have um, a little case of makeup. Um, and like, it, it was enough makeup so that if I like, I could get like a decent look going on. And I brought it like just in case, cause I thought maybe there would be a cast party. And, um, so I had the tools to like make myself feel pretty and confident, but I didn't have the time. Um, and so maybe if I had the time and the ability to like relax a little bit, I would have done that. But what I ended up doing was I just kind of put my hair in a braid and I wore what I felt the most safe in. So like my North face sweater, it was very, very thick and it was warm. And then I put on just like standard black leggings and fuzzy socks. And like, that was what it, I looked like just kind of a little outdoorsy, like, you know, gotcha. But they had so that- it wasn't but Diggy looked like he was going out. He was wearing jeans. I think that that's what threw me off. It was the jeans. <laughs> yeah. Dude, <laughs> he I, so clean. I was like, what is this? Who are you? Right. I, dude, I, I love the aspect because I, I don't know. I, I get into the sociology of stuff sometimes and just thinking about how much time, like that's something I've noticed with the quarantine. Um, like I'm just like, how much, how many of these fucking clothes I actually feel forced to wear to fit the ideal of how other people will see me. Like I, I haven't fucking oh, yeah. buttoned a button. I haven't uh, on like, I haven't buttoned a button, maybe on a couple shorts, but like, I haven't buttoned a button in like two months. Yep. No, I, I, I agree. Um, putting on makeup for me is something that I really miss. I don't wear makeup every day. Like I don't wear it when I go to work, but it's like, I really enjoy doing it. And I, I'm not one of those girls who wears a lot. Like I'm one of those people who wears makeup to look like I'm not wearing makeup. <laughs> yeah. I love um, you hypocrites. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, but it's, it's fun. It's therapeutic. And I really, really miss that. And the other day I went to the park um, to give something to a friend, like six feet apart. And I decided to really get done up. Uh, I, I, I was wearing like sweatpants and a sweatshirt, but it was like my hair and my face. Right. And it was, I, I'm, I miss it so much. Like I would maybe do that once a week normally, but you need that. Like you need to be able to like groom yourself so that you feel prettier than usual. I think that that's really important. Um, and because I'm not like a makeup guru, I guess I didn't realize it's important until I lost it and then got it back. Right. 
But yeah, I think it's important to feel pretty, even though on a normal basis, you don't feel ugly. That's a good but, way to put it. What, what, yeah. Was there something after 21 days that was shocking when you put on your iPhone and whatever? Like I, I'd be like the Twitter guy. So you're like going through Twitter and you know, like shit trends every 24 hours. Do, do you just feel like depressed and overwhelmed with how much stupid shit you have to catch up on that you used to care about? Um, There wasn't like anything large that had happened that I needed to catch up on. But what I did find when I was in um, the bush is that like, I definitely struggle with productivity. And I don't know if I'm being too hard on myself here, because I do run my own business. And I've like, definitely been successful in some aspects of it. So I am a productive person, but I'm also really hard on myself. And uh, as a student for so many years, it was hard to keep that up. And the it's, so it's something that I think about often, like be more productive. And when I was in the woods um, and my main focus was finally not how productive I was, but more like, how can I make this easier on myself so that I can survive? Like the simplicity of productivity was so clear and simple. And I was like, you can just do actions. Like it's so straightforward. Like you're a little bit tired maybe, but you can just do things, you know? And, um, I've never had such a clarity about productivity, but then and I was extremely productive for a while, but then when you kind of fall back into, I don't know if this is the right word, but you know, like, you know what itis is? I like gingivitis, arthritis. You know, itis is, I don't even know if this is the right word, but it's like the afterness that you get after eating too much food where you get tired. Okay. It's almost like the itis of like life's privileges that kind of just makes you tired when you don't necessarily need to be like, you just get exhausted really fast by like life's day to day in a way that like was so trivial and stupid when I was in the bush that like, I was like, well, you just won't get tired because you'll have clothes on and like, you'll be warm so you can do anything. But then eventually that catches back up with you. And like, you have all these privileges and you have all this warmth and protection, but you're still like exhausted, (laughs) like emotionally and you, you feel unproductive. But it was really clear to me for a while that like, productivity is quite simple but hmm. I, I don't I wish I could remember it a bit more so that I could you know apply it <laughs> and hold on to that feeling eh? huh. yeah um so I was just really excited like because I run my own business there's always kind of an infinite list of things that could be done and I just like had all these dreams about like I'm gonna organize my files you know which I didn't end up doing but it was a nice idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah I wonder how many people looked at quarantine at first like as that opportunity to like get the perfect garden or some shit like that because you're like oh my god all this time is now opened up and then very quickly it um isn't opened up and you can feel just as overwhelmed with as much time as you have before versus now having extra hours yeah so I think what quarantine is doing for us is it's making us appreciate what we don't have. So we do have a lot of time to organize things like files and information. So that's kind of like we've become desensitized to it. Um, Whereas when I was in the bush, I didn't have time to just kind of be like, well, I'm bored. What am I going to organize? You know, I thought I would have that time, but I didn't. All the time that I had was used towards kind of preserving my warmth. Um, And so I was attracted to what I didn't have. And now that I'm in quarantine and I have all this time to kind of like room and self-care and organize that's not really what makes me excited it's more like feeling pretty like doing (laughs) something so simple as putting on makeup like wow I didn't know how refreshing it was to like there's a prettier version of me out there that I've like totally forgotten about like why but but there's no I don't know and and when I do go out like walks are a lot more special I know a lot of people have been feeling that way because that's what we don't have right so we're just kind of yeah 
Yeah, it's more, it's, it is funny. It, like even just a jog can be romanticized. I felt um, part of me trying to connect with you was I went for a beach jog with my dog this morning at like uh, six. So I got up at six, didn't oh, do, God. didn't do a sunrise beach jog, but you know, got a couple miles in and I went bare feet and, um, and it, it's sand, not really rocky. I mean, it's basic dude, but I, like, I know I'm going to lose half the skin on my foot. I can already feel like the sensitivity. And that was like yeah. 35 minutes of a beach jog. I don't know how you fuckers 21 days, man. Like how is shoes? Not the first thing that like everyone has it to is, do, right? It, it is. Um, and I'll definitely say something about that. We got put down into the bush and I took off my shoes and I was like, this is unreasonably prickly and I'm stabbing myself and I I'm limping. And so when we met Diggy and we sat on the first walk, we were like number one priority after we get like the basics out of the way is shoes. Um, and so they didn't show it, but I made shoes on day two, um, for Diggy. It took me a while, but I made them out of vines and, oh, wow. uh, it really had like a, a good base. I used a, a tactic that I learned from a guy called primitive technology on YouTube. Great dude. Awesome information. And they were really nice. Like they were, they, uh, like just aesthetically, they were very well engineered. Um, but the issue was that because they were made out of vines, vines hold a lot of water content. And so they were limited in usage. So like Diggy would wear them. And then at a certain point, the vines would kind of get beat, beat to like a pulp okay. and they'd get really mushy and he could still use them, but then they'd start to disintegrate. And so they, like, I would make him more, but it was really frustrating because basically like by the time that, you know, after like a full, full day and a bit of using the shoes, they'd be done. And then I would have another pair of shoes ready and give it to him right away. So I would never get shoes for myself. Gotcha. Um, yeah. The reason we did that is because he had a bow. So he would walk farther out than I would, whereas I would do camp chores. So he had to have them more than I did. Um, and then when that didn't work, like we did it for a few days, we made uh, shoes out of bark. But then those just ended up cracking. Like the the platform of bark was not limber enough right. and it would like crack under our feet. Um, and so we kind of used a mix of those two things until we did get our first kill. And then from that, we used the hide to make our final pair of shoes, which lasted the whole time. Yeah. And like those hide shoes, it's yeah. the feeling like, are you feeling like you just bought some like really cheap discount or your feet just shoes <laughs> or like do you, are your feet just so yearning for comfort that they feel like whatever uggs jordan like oh they were like it's i i they were kind of comfortable they were a little bit like wet which was un, like weird but um it was more like they were tough and i felt like i didn't need to watch anything that i was walking on so like depending on the quality of the shoe that i would make for diggy he would sometimes still need to like look down a bit hmm. uh, so like the thing is looking down on the ground there are visible spikes and then the invisible ones oh. so essentially what yeah really awful what my what my shoes would do to him is they would like, like the invisible spikes are smaller so they would protect him from those but not the visible ones because they were really big right and so he was he, he still had to kind of be vigilant right and not step on those big ones but at the very least like we're okay to be vigilant it's just like we're vigilant and we get stabbed you know mm -hmm. <laughs> so now he was being vigilant and he wasn't getting stabbed but like with this we didn't even need to look down which was great yeah. without in uh hide shoes yeah right yeah i i I don't know. Just the, the walking. It's something that's, I think it, it, it's hard for the viewers, I think, to understand how much of a role that plays in just making you uncomfortable and how difficult it is to deal with as a grind. It's yeah. like, it would be like if it just rained for like the five days, like rain seems to be a breaking point for sometimes that like 
they'll tap three, three, four days of rain. You're just like, man, I can't fucking deal. I'm hypothermic. It's wet. It's nasty. Yeah, it's awful. No, it's really awful. It, it rained, but more of a mist that was constant. It wasn't pouring. So we got really lucky in that sense. Yeah, but I think, um, but the, we do deal with some of the worser colds on the show, like really, really bad and winds and stuff like that. How, but um, I will say, yeah. Well, no, I was just going to ask, did you have like a tappable moment where you knew because of the support that you guys had together with that group, it was just easier to uh, power through? uh yeah okay so I didn't really have like a a moment that was super tappable I know that around days two through five I got extremely depressed but also I knew that that was going to happen because that's usually when people tap days two through five okay so I did get extremely depressed but it was almost more cathartic for me like I allowed myself to get there and then I kind of came out of it um and Diggy couldn't stand it he was like stop sulking and I was like Diggy this is just how I deal with my emotions and like I don't want to bring you into it so I'm willing to like kind of perk up around you but like I like to sulk it's cathartic anyways it actually worked for me but then um I had another dip on day 14 so like days two through five were more strategic um where like you're you're accepting you're like hey I know this is coming so I'm just gonna embrace it and use it and then I'll be fine Exactly. Because days two through five is when your body is in denial about like what you're doing and it's trying to escape. And so I said, like, I'm going to like look at this denial head on and be like, I know exactly what you are instead of getting scared by it and being like, what's this feeling? I think it's telling me I can't do this. Like I really embraced it. And I was like, I'm depressed. I'm sad. Um, And it worked really, really well. um, Because I was able, I talked about my feelings all the time. And I sulked all the time, but I was reasonable about it. I was like, I expected this to come. And it's here. Um, and then day 14, is it because you're with new people? You think you had that like second relapse? So I I think what you think about time backwards when you're on naked and afraid. So after one day, you don't think that there's 19 days left. Well, that is backwards, but you think about it more like I need to do this 21 more times. Like you think about it, like how many more times do I need to do what I just did? That's how I would think about it. Like I'm halfway through, you think about it as percentages, Uh not in terms of like three more days. It's more like, oh, we're six sevenths of the way through um and when I was on day 14 I realized that I was two-thirds of the way through um that the biggest thing to look forward to which was Burge had passed because when you're feeling like shit on day nine you know that in two days there's going to be a big event so you hold out right but it's day 14 I'm already with my new partners I know that it's going to be a week of this hell with nothing necessarily big changing that vibe we're not gonna move we're here um and also the fan challenge is 14 days so uh that's like a challenge that some people do when they're not like too experienced but they still want to do naked and afraid and I always felt like I was more of a fan than a survivalist and so I felt like oh well I've kind of proved myself at this point haven't I right oh oh that's right dude I totally forgot I zoned out you've done it is that the first one you did was 14 day it is no, 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 no. This is the first one. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Then I messed up. Sorry. But I, I'm just saying that like I got um, recruited to do a 21 day challenge, but if they had recruited me to do a 14 day challenge and been like, you're more of a fan than a survivalist, I would have been like, well, yeah, uh, I like camping and I know a little bit about primitive survival and I, I do research sometimes um, gotcha, more so gotcha. for the show, obviously, but it would have made sense to me. Right. So I kind of was like, well, I'm really impressed with myself that I completed the fan challenge and I don't really feel like I have that much more approved to be honest. Oh. Um, and so when that kind of like, it's no longer shameful to quit came into mind, I was like, well, then why am I here? Mm. Right. And you really had to dig deep to find those reasons. Um, And I just couldn't bear thinking that I was only 66% of the way done, like that I had to do another 
third of that, like another week, like a week is a long time. Yeah. Like you're uncomfortable to the point where it's almost unbearable. And imagine somebody says just one more week, <laughs> but you don't have to do it because you can gain all that comfort back. Just tap out. Right. And so I really considered tapping out that day, but I think that like, I, I, I was like, why would I be tapping out just because it's uncomfortable? Like what's uncomfortable? Like in general, like it wasn't like my foot was hurting so, so, so much. It wasn't one specific thing. It was just like everything. And I was like, I don't think that that's a good enough reason to tap. And I was so angry because I wanted a reason to tap. I really genuinely did. Um, and like every time that like, I wasn't putting myself in harm's way, but every time I trip, I'd be like, is this it? Do I get to go home? You know? Um, and when nothing came for me to tap, like no obvious reason, uh, I remember I, I got, um, like, you know, your lymph nodes, it's like, actually, I don't know if this is called your lymph nodes, but it's like on the side of your crotch, like the, the lines on the side of your crotch, like if you get sick, sometimes you'll get like a, like a, like a lump there, which is like your body trying to expel bacteria. Okay. Okay, so this happens to men and women. You get like um, a lump on like the sides of your crotch and it's like, like I said, it's like bacteria. And I'd never gotten one before. Um, and I guess I was just like ignorant to the medical information here. And when I saw it, I literally thought I had a tumor. And I, oh, I was shit. like, I am going home. Like this is this is an infection. It was like a hard ball. And uh, the medic, like, she was like, no, Lauren, that's your lymph nodes. Like they're just like, this is your body expelling bacteria. You got bit by ticks the other day. It's completely normal and expected this is what your body would do. It's actually good. Um, but I remember seeing that and thinking like, this is it. Thank God I get to go home. Wow. But then when I realized I was okay, I was like, well, what am I, can you imagine like think like living with yourself being like, I went home because I was uncomfortable in general. Like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That's the regret, right. That, that you tend to see with people. And it's funny, like if that's how people work, but is it more like you would just see yourself as like a little punk? And you're like, God, I don't want to be known as a quitter, like internally, or you don't want to be perceived externally as a quitter. What is it like more? About? Why uh, definitely did didn't want to seem like a quitter, but at the same time, I felt like 14 days was enough to not feel like a quitter. Like I felt like I was able, like mm. in terms of how I wanted other people to perceive me, I felt like I'd already achieved where I was looking to go. Gotcha. Um, and so then it had to be for me. Right. And like, how would you feel knowing that? Like, cause I wasn't the most physically uncomfortable that I'd ever been at that day. Yeah, shit. I wouldn't, I'd fucking say bike rack and a lion attack. Like that's a lot just to understand how my body reacts to pain and odd sensations. <laughs> it was just like the day of, okay, so it wasn't the most uncomfortable day, but day 14 was the day where I was like, I don't want to do this. Like I don't want to do it. And you feel kind of like a baby. <laughs> um, with like throwing a temper tantrum and I was like well are you uncomfortable in a way that's unbearable and the answer was definitely no and I was like well, like what am I supposed to do with that I, I just I was like well this, I, I can't win like I was trying to find a way out and I couldn't I couldn't find like a reasonable way out and, and like I said just being generally uncomfortable that's not really yeah. good enough like it took me eight months to get on this show and I'm just gonna throw it away because I'm not feeling great like I don't it doesn't seem right how did you, um, did you find any tricks or have any tricks for dealing with the cold? Because again, like it, you guys got elevated, which made it even more cold, right? That was part of like why it sucked. We didn't even know that we were that much higher than the other team, but yeah. So, um, putting like we, I would dig a little hole and sometimes we'd take rocks from around the fire that were heated and we'd put the rocks in the, in the hole. 
um, and Swathama, that was a big help. And then also like for me personally, the Inyala hide would serve as a good firewall. So I'd put it behind me because it was stiff, like a cardboard oh. wall. And, and I'd put it behind me and then I'd curl in the fetal position and it would make like a whoosh. Uh, so those two things were my primary ways of, of doing it. But it was, uh, the problem was that um, the firewall helped, but in general, like only one part of your body would get toasty and then the rest would go numb. Oh man. So that was really tough. And you had to like rotisserie chicken yourself forever. <laughs> like I would wake up concerned for my feet. They were like completely numb, like, like not a little bit, a lot. Um, and my feet, just because like, uh, I wasn't, you know, positioned in front of the fire in a way that they would necessarily get warmth uh or whatever body part was away from it it would wake up completely numb like not tingly numb nothing so that was really hard did you consider and i can't remember like the snuggling technique sometimes people are like dude we just always got to lay together and use our both of our warmth and body heat or was that not something y'all did you and diggy if you have one fire then spooning is not good because if you spoon then one person is away from the fire and it's not like they're a little bit more uncomfortable it's like if you don't get a direct source of that fire you are naked in eight degree weather um i don't know how hold on let me tell you how cold that is eight degrees celsius to fahrenheit you are naked in 46.4 degree weather yeah Gotcha. With a little bit of drizzle and rain and you're shivering like nonstop. Right. So it's not doable. We did try to make two fires and then go back to back. Okay. But the firewood required for two fires was not worth it. Um, and, uh, they'd always be like different sizes. And like, for example, usually one of us would be awake. So we would stoke the fire, but it's like weird to stoke two fires. So we ended up just doing one fire and then we would sit next to each other. So like the side of us would be skin to skin. Gotcha. But when you're actually like lying down, no, because then one person has to be behind. But me and Danelle or me and Diggy would would sit like in fetal position, like uh, on our butts. And we would be completely like side to side. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So that was it. But um maybe like you'd really have to make like a really uh you'd need like a shelter with like some sort of chimney in it to like put the fire in the shelter like that would be the ideal right but we didn't have enough like um resources to do that like we would have needed an axe to like really cut down some serious serious wood and we didn't have the energy for it um nor were the resources to do that particularly accessible right um sometimes you get people who go to a tropical location and they have like bamboo which is really good for building and shingling so that's not fair. I mean, it's fair, right? It is <laughs> it's just I really fair. wanted bamboo. There's this really cool roof that you can build with bamboo that I really wanted to do. I'll try and explain it. Basically, bamboo's hollow on the inside. It's like a cup. Right. Um, I mean, it, like it's like it's like multiple cups. But if you cut it in half, you essentially get a half moon shape. Okay. Um, and so what you do is you line up a bunch of half moons facing like a like to make like a like a sideways slanted roof you line up a bunch of them but you have the half moons facing upward so that you're basically making like little coves like you're not putting them down to make a bump you're putting them upwards to make like a u shape yeah um and then you take the other halves of them and you put them on top of the other ones but like in between so it's it's like they they fall in between and you create like an airtight shingled seal i got you and that's like a wall that's a wall with no holes in it. Right. 
And I wanted to do that. That would have been the best firewall that I could have made. But essentially what I was able to do was I'm making a firewall out of wood and you can't put wood like directly on top of each other. There's always going to be space between it. Yeah. And I don't have water. Like, what am I going to stuff that with? Yeah. Like it's winter. The foliage that we have is thorns. So you're stuffing it with more wood. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't go a little bit of water, a little bit of mud and try to make like a brick thing, like to mortar it in between. You can, you can, but the, I think that the the problem was that I was never able to get a firewall big enough because we would always, always run out of firewood and then we'd have to take the firewood from my firewall. Oh. But yes, like if, if I had enough accessible wood, um, I would have done that or tried that. That makes a lot of sense. Like, I feel like that could have worked yeah. to like put mud in it. Um, I don't know if it would have become like clay. Like, I don't know if it would have gotten hot enough. Yeah. Right. But but that is like some fine work. Uh, and usually there's bigger things to do. Gotcha. Gotcha. Like yeah. you gotta be bored to do that. And I felt like there wasn't enough time in a day. Keep in mind, we only had seven hours of daylight per day. Oh shit. Is that it? Kind of. Yeah. I had no idea. Seven hours. Wow. Well, seven, eight, nine. Hold on a second. We were in the BOMA for 15 hours a day, right? And there's 24 hours in a day. So between seven to nine um, hours. Okay. So Dude, like, yeah, I would say in, seven. You because stayed in, we're in the BOMA. What? I said, you stayed in that BOMA 15 hours. Yeah. So uh, let me try and like timeline it for you. Basically, Holy the sun shit. goes down around 4 35 o'clock. And then it rises quite late, like seven, eight. Like it's not an early rise, it's winter. Right. But then the thing is, so when it peaks its head, you're allowed to go outside, but it's still too cold for you to do that. So you can do it if you mm. want to, like you can run to get water, but it's still too cold. Like you don't want to. And so, um, we would wait until the sun rised a little bit. So it was like an additional hour and a bit every morning to like, we were, the door was open, the Boma door, you know, but we couldn't really leave. Gotcha. So it's more than 15 hours, but 15 hours trapped, sometimes 14, sometimes more. God, it was awesome. no wonder people go mad. Like, yeah, no wonder. I, I, you literally, I, I don't know why I, that timeline never, um, I never put those numbers together. But like, even if you were able to sleep, right? Like, even let's just say you could sleep like you do in a normal bed, and you got to sleep in and had ten hours of perfectly comfortable sleep to spend of that fifteen, then you got five more hours just sitting in that bitch. God. Oh yeah. And we didn't sleep like that. It was too cold. Yeah, and right? so um, a lot of us had to sleep during the day. Not so much me. I actually had the easiest time sleeping at night. Um, oddly enough, even though I was the coldest, but I was the best sleeper. I didn't <laughs> sleep much, so that's a lot, but they would have to nap during the day. Sometimes I did too, but more so them because they didn't sleep at night, which was beneficial for me because even though they're taking a nap when I'm not, they also tend the fire at night way more than I do because they sleep less. Gotcha. So when they're napping during the day, that is an hour and a half gone of our precious seven, eight hours. Gotcha. Just to get to go out there, get the firewood, get the water, try to have some food. Yeah. All that shit. And then oh, this was so awful. So there would be a time, usually around noon or one o'clock, where the sun would hit its peak. So it kind of goes and it goes in an arch, right? And we would tell the time based on the sun. And then when it's at its peak, um, there's no like tree to block you. It's just coming straight down. And I got heat stroke. I faint. I kind of fainted at one point. Diggy really fainted, like you saw oh, in the yeah. Pain. Yeah, dude, that shit was fucking. <laughs> yeah. 
my man. Get dehydrated. You don't have enough water. And so there would be an hour of that day where it was too hot to go outside. Yeah. Oh man. So that reduces your seven hours even more. So if you think about it, take out that hour, take out an hour for that, take out an, another hour for sleeping. And you're looking at five hours of work every day. So like when we had ideas, like, should we put mud in the firewall? Like, yeah. yes. Also there are, there are so many other things. So I, I think it would have been different had the weather been more forgiving and then we would have had a longer time to like do more fine work like that. Yeah. That makes sense. Wow. But no, man. Yeah. yeah. Crazy, eh? it, it, it when you start breaking it down again because like uh, go to think about corona think about your normal work day your work schedule or whatever right like most people who work an eight-hour shift it's actually more like a 10-hour shift between like getting ready getting there unwind it right so you're used to 10 to 11 hours of your day almost being devoted to this work thing and like to think yeah. like and that's a, such a basic work thing now if you tried to take that to like hey man you're gonna get five hours to survive <laughs> <laughs> like it just, man, it does. That's uh, and it's so frustrating too because those five hours of time or six hours are when like the weather is finally normal and you want to like enjoy it, but you won't have, you cannot enjoy any of it. Like you have to work because that's the only time that the temperature allows you to do so. Right. Um, and then like, look, so you're in the Boma. Um, and so I would try and do things when I was trapped in there that would be helpful. Like I try and dig downwards. So that just like this, the walls of where I was digging would allow me to like get some warmth. Right. But like when you're really, really cold, it's almost impossible to work because you're burning so much energy shivering. So it's hard. Yeah. But I will tell you, it's not boring being cold. You're not bored. Cause you're just finding ways to stay warm. Your mind's kicking in that direction. Yes. So it wasn't a boring experience. I'll tell you that. I thought it would be, but it was not. Did you, just, and you haven't mentioned it, um, but some people go that route. Was it, did it get you to a unique or new spiritual place going through there? Like, did you feel connected one with the universe type thing? No, <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> And, and I wanted to, um, and I'm definitely disappointed, but, um, no, I remember on day 20, I was like, I got to feel connected to this fucking universe. And I like, we didn't have that much work left to do because it was like, how much more are you going to fortify the shelter? We're leaving tomorrow. And so I tried to spend the day like meditating, but it felt forced. I was like, come on, feel something spiritual. Um, um and I have a lot of trouble with that. Like with my line attack too, I always feel like pressured to feel a certain way. And then when I try and feel the way that I think I'm expected to feel like it, becomes inauthentic and, and a little bit odd. Um, and I felt a lot of frustration. I felt really whiny, like a baby being like, I don't want to be here. Like it was really like a lot of that, huh. um, whether or not that was expressed, that's how I felt just like frustrated and like temper tantrum me. Um, but by the same token, I was also really tough. Right. Because even though that's how I felt just like frustrated being like, it's not fair. It's like, you know, that it is fair. You put yourself in this position. This is an immense privilege. Um, so it was really conflicting there. I think to be honest with you, that if I did the challenge again, I would have a lot more space to feel that. Wow. Um, but yeah, the first time I was overwhelmed with discomfort. Oh, so you think because you now have experienced the discomfort, you would be able to move past that a little quicker mentally, spiritually, which would open yourself up to connecting. Yeah. I would say that in general, the experience was too much of a change from what I was used to and too shocking. 
Uh, not to say I didn't expect it to feel like this, right? But even though I expected it, it's still something I've never felt before. So right. it was too shocking to feel much else. Um, but I will say, uh, and this is this is genuine, that there were moments where I don't know if you would want to call it a spiritual ascendance, but it's a more of like a spiritual gratitude that you don't really feel and like a sense of contentment and a sense of peace at the achievement of certain goals. Um, so like when you finally have meat or when you're able to like set up the rocks in a way that actually gives you enough warmth for sleeping, like that sense of appreciation is exceptionally heightened and releases a lot of positive chemicals in your brain that you wouldn't normally feel for yeah. that amount of work. So if, if you would consider that to be an ascendant, then yes, that. Are you like a religious spiritual person? Um, no, but I got a little bit more spiritual when I was out there. Um, I, I am generally agnostic, but I chose when I went out there to like, uh, to, to kind of like put my energy into some sort of spiritual thing. And I kind of just considered it in my case, like the woods in general, the two men were very like monotheistic, um, God believers, uh, one of them, Rod's Mormon, and um, Diggy is Christian. I don't remember what type. And uh, I think Danelle's an atheist or an agnostic. But I was an agnostic, and so I felt like I fell kind of between uh, Danelle and the boys there, where, like, I would actually be the one who insisted on saying grace every day. Oh, really? Uh, not every day, but every time that we ate, I would insist on it. Uh, and then I'm not religious, right? So I don't really know how to say grace, but the boys <laughs> did. And they would say it towards their God, which is fine. I actually felt like really emotional when they would do that because I just think that it's important to feel connected to something bigger. Um, and so like, like I said, I, I kind of just chose the forest in general um, because I know that some people do that religiously. Like they actually think that like nature is a, like alive in a, in a spiritual sense. So that's kind of what I chose to believe. Do I believe that all the time? Not to the extent that I did when I was out there. It was really a, an active choice and it was genuine when I was out there. Yeah. So there wasn't, it's not like a carryover now where you go to parks, <laughs> like start touching the grass and then try to like connect to it. No, but at the same time, I'm not starving. Right. And so yeah. it's not like at the forefront of my mind, like when you're desperate and looking for help, people generally turn to higher beings. It's like a, a lot of the reason why people find comfort in religion, I think, right? right. Because it gives you a sense of like higher power comfort. And so when you're asking for help, I was like, I, I remember asking the forest, I was like, okay, I don't want you to just like give this to me, but I want you to like, tell me that I have the capacity to do it. That's what I like quote unquote prayed for. I don't know if you consider it praying though, but, um, uh, yeah, so I would try and like send energy. I don't know if this, I don't know if this like is real, but I would try and like, I feel like you can make your body feel like it's real where you can send energy into the ground. Like if you think about it, you start tingling. Huh. So I would do that a lot. Um, I would try and send energy into the ground and then up through like Diggy's feet into his body. This is how I imagined it. Whether or not it was happening, I don't know, but this is like what physically felt the most sensible to me in terms of how I chose to pray. Gotcha. And what, yeah. so now because you're, um, I, I guess comfortable is probably the easiest way to put it. So now that you're comfortable, there wasn't much of a carryover of the, uh, need to be spiritual. Hmm. Yeah. Not, not as much of a need to be spiritual, but do I disregard the, the 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 solace that being spiritual gave me no it's just that I don't need it as much right gotcha. so it would be more intentional when I do have to tap into it um interesting and I think people become more spiritual when they're in times of need and I don't think that that's a bad thing I think that 
what I can do to like save. I don't want to be like, um, you know, spiritual for the stay, you know, but I think that that is what it is to some extent. So to kind of counter that, I try and be grateful across the board. So even though I feel less spiritual now that I'm comfortable, um, I try and be just as grateful. And I feel like that makes it okay. Yeah. That almost seems like if I'm trying to label it more like a, a karma type vibe where it's like, I'm just putting out these good vibes and really appreciating stuff. And that is the spirituality part. I think it made me a kinder person. Um, I found that I became like very kind, like nice and like good with a capital G, like in a, in a very (laughs) traditional sense, like after the lion attack. And then I feel like that was also renewed after, like, I still talk shit about people, no doubt, but I just feel like my sense of like traditional good was heightened. Um, after these experiences for some reason, like a moral on a moral scale. I don't know why, but it happened both times. Yeah. Well, I I think like it would almost like the, the appreciation for just the basic shit comes flooding in when your life's in danger. Right. So like, I think that's why that's super understandable. I don't really understand why I became so ethical though. It's not to say that I was unethical before, but I feel very like biblically good. Like, like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, it just becomes very simple as to how to be a kind person when you've been, when you've been through something bad, but I, I don't feel like I've been through enough bad that this goodness like transcends into everything I do, but it's something that I notice. That's interesting. Um, yeah. I think it's also just that people are quite mean <laughs> and I think I can see that difference. I mean, like it's not that hard to be nice, but it does take um, intentionality for, for me. Um, and I'm, I'm like more intentionally, trying to be good and thoughtful to other people around me since these experiences for some reason. Not sure why, but interesting. Yeah. I hadn't yeah. thought of that either though. Like the agnostic thing, when you said ethics, it's funny to hear you say like, I don't know why I have ethics now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, look, I, I have a degree in philosophy. Um, so I think that that plays into it, right? Like this has always been a battle and I've always been like a firm ethicist. So even when I was taking philosophy, I started taking philosophy as an atheist and then I became an agnostic, um, a very ethical agnostic. So I believe in like, uh, like a good and a bad. And uh, I also believe that I could very well be wrong, but I also believe that I don't care. Like I really don't care. So (laughs) (laughs) I think that that's a healthy way to look at it. Um, Yeah. I'm like a traditionalist but also a, a liberal. And I think that my traditionalism comes through in my strong sense of ethics, which was really, really shown on the show. I think you could see that, like, I was very, I listened. I was like the nice one. They did a good job at portraying that. I don't know if you could tell. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think you were not, not nice. Is that an agnostic yeah. answer? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, but I, I don't think, I don't think they did a ton of, um, like your person. Yeah, exactly. I I think basically you, from what I took away from it was you were kind of the cold girl who was meekish and like the lines fucked with you, right? Like that, that was kind of how they pegged you. And maybe it's a result of um, the drama that maybe they wanted to highlight between the other pair. You know, because that seemed to get a little more. I, I, don't know, I didn't time Diggie, it or anything. Me and Diggy fought like cats and dogs, by the way. Like, not as bad and definitely in a different way, but like, to keep it simple, uh, I think that the difference between Diggy and I's relationship with Rod and Danelle's is that, like, 
when Diggy and I would fight, we would fight just as badly. But when we didn't fight, we didn't hold grudges. And I think that that makes uh, a big difference because it wasn't consistently tense. Whereas with the other two, it was always tense. Um, and that gets exhausting fast. Maybe that's the difference between fighting with an agnostic and an atheist. Oh, me and Diggy would argue about God all the time. Really? I guess yeah. 15 hours in a Boma, you got to do something, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They try to keep religion and politics um, out of it. So, but we, we talked about it a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, he's a really Christian. It was really important to him. And he has like a big tattoo on his back with, uh, I think there's like a biblical passage on it. I know because I'd step on his back every night. So I'd like step on the Bible and I was like, oh, funny. <laughs> what do you, you would step like intentionally? Well, I would step on his back to crack it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really important to him and I actually thought that it was sweet whereas like nor like so that's like my maturity, right? Cuz when I was a little bit younger, I was an angry atheist. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. Uh I'd like to. <laughs> so, um sometimes people like feel uh betrayed or kind of uh, wronged by religion and then they resort to not resort, but they choose atheism uh in part because they're angry um at religion and I was really angry with religion when I was younger because I was quite Jewish when I was younger and then I was like wait a minute you're telling me that like there's no proof of any of this like I thought you guys had proof and they were like nah like we just believe in it I was so angry and I became an atheist uh like a really angry one and I, I found like solace in that anger and now I'm way more chilled out and I'm like atheism for me personally is a little bit too intense I feel like it um it it's a it's an affirmative statement which says like there is no God. Um, whereas like, I don't really care as much anymore. I'm more like laissez-faire, which is so freeing. It took a whole degree to figure that out. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just exhausted. Like, you know, instead of an angry atheist, I'm just an exhausted agnostic, which is a lot simpler. I find an exhausted ethical agnostic. Yeah, the ethics part is weird. I think that's just my is traditional. It? You don't attitude. think like people naturally want to have ethics and rules that guide them? No, they they do. But I think that when a lot of people think about it seriously and philosophically, uh, they don't necessarily come to the same conclusion that I do. Like, I don't feel like that's necessarily the intuitive conclusion that you that you should follow those ethics anyway. But I feel like if you don't think about it, then yeah, sure, it's kind of intuitive that there's a good and a bad. But if you really like do research and like talk about it and philosophize people come to different, uh, different opinions. A lot of people are relativists, which I hate, but I, I sympathize with, like I was almost on myself. A relativist where it is all situa- situationally dependent. So like well, you can kill and it's okay to kill, but murder's bad. But if you're saving a life of someone by killing someone else or something like that. Um, yeah no no (laughs) it's okay i won't be offended because i've never i've never actually thought about much about the differences of like agnostic atheist like the role it would play on your day-to-day of like like okay so you don't steal because why well it's bad well why was it bad well because the commandment said it was bad and somehow that got programmed into you and then even if you stop believing in god you seem to hold on to like the golden rule right but why? Well, maybe you're right. worried about so, karma so and stuff comes back. But then like, you never really question like, well, what if there was no consequence for me stealing this? Right? Like fucking nobody's going to know. Right. I don't care. Um, so, so I've not heard of relativist, I guess all that the, to say. The, the difference between like relativism and I think what, what I thought that you just described. So like if you uh, believe that stealing is bad, which I do, uh, that's kind of like indoctrinating, right? Which is kind of 
the camp that I'm in where it's like stealing's bad, but I do allow an amount of relativism in terms of context. So like stealing is not bad if it's going to save your life, you know, like I do think it's contextual. Whereas then you have some people who are like stealing is bad no matter what, which is really intense. It's like people who believe that you shouldn't kill, even if it's to like save others, that's like not where I'm at. Like I do believe that it's relative to the situation, but by relativism, I didn't mean relative to the situation. I meant more that like some people believe that like, um, like the good and the bad don't really exist and we just kind of like make them up and they hold no like actual weight like if you think about a good situation like um you know saving someone from a river like I would say that that's good but like maybe an extreme relativist would be like you're just saying it's good because you think it's good it it could be equally bad like there is no good and bad like I'm not there you know my relativism is just like about context but it's it's about like things are good when they're like if you if you define the context for me I can tell you in general if it's good or bad and that's kind of where I stay Got you. But then what are you basing your good and bad on? Uh, I have no idea. And that's why it's like, (laughs) it's just like, you just kind of like react and you're like, you know what? I feel good that that's good. So it's good. Or, Hey man, that sounds like shit. So it's shit. Yeah. I mean, maybe like utilitarianism in a way, like the good of the most people, but by the same token, that doesn't always work. So like, I have no idea. It's so shocking to me that like I did all this work to like have no idea where I stand. Really shocking. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel so much dumber than when I came in. And so much less opinionated. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's but that's kind of freeing at the same time, right? Because then you don't have to like hold on to these things and like defend them all the time, right? Or you're not walking around with like the argument or the talking points or whatever to try to to try to prove that you're right. Try to prove that it this idea is right. It's, I, and I hadn't thought about it that much, honestly, before. Yeah, I guess I, I also studied logic. So I believe I, have, I believe very much in the institution of like promises. Um, I think that like bad can at the very least be defined as like if you said you were going to do something and then you didn't, like that's generally bad. Um, mm. But it's also contextual, right? So um, yeah, like not pe- meeting people's like expectations that you promise is bad, like, which is like not a healthy thing to to, I don't know, but that, that would be one way promises uh, and like conditional statements. So if you say you're going to do something and people are relying on you to do it and then you don't, uh, when you could have, I feel like you should go out of your way to commit to the things that you said that you were going to do because other people are depending on you. And like, I feel like if you can't depend on others, then like the whole system collapses. So we need to keep to our promises in general. And if not, we need to to kind of work around how we can fix that if, if possible. Yeah, that is funny, man. Like that actually in a real basic way, like government, part of what government does is just enforce the promises that other people make or the people make to each other. You know, yeah. Contracts and, and laws. That, like that's in, huh. But yeah, then I feel like I'm siding with the government and then I'm like a dirty capitalist, which I am, right? Because I run a business, which is also another problem. See, I don't know where I stand. I'm like, right? it's so tough. I'm like, part of me is like universal health care, communism. But then another part of me is like, I run my business and I don't want you to take all of my money that I worked hard for because I really did work hard for it. And I don't want to pay for people who aren't working when they don't want to work. Like, I'm so conflicted. I really yeah. am a centrist, like truly hard to heart. So I just sit in the middle and I scream. <laughs> just sit in the middle and scream. But it's so funny since joining Naked and Afraid, I've really joined like a dense group of Republican old men. Like that is what a lot of Naked and Afraid survivalists are, Republican old men, Americans. Um, And I'm like, man, I really think I was like a Republican man in a past life and that I got like reincarnated as a centrist female. Somehow. So So is it affecting you? Do you think being around them is like actually influencing you? 
No, um, I don't. I just, I just, I think it's, it's funny. Uh, also like I'm part of a support group, um, that, uh, is for victims of large predators and it's called bite club and it's mainly sharks. And it's just like, again, it's like 50 year old, uh, dudes who like love to barbecue and camp. And I just find it so funny that like, these are, these are the groups of people that it's not that I like haven't have a, an inclination towards them. It's just like, this is where I've been camped. Um, but then by the same token, like other groups of people in my life are extremely liberal. And so that's kind of why I feel like I've fallen into the middle because I've heard both sides of the story. And in my opinion, both of them at their extremes are like profoundly irrational at their extremes as are most things at their extremes. Right. So yeah, I just fallen in the middle. It made me, it made me so chill. Yeah. (laughs) Made me listen to people's perspectives and not get offended. That's a, uh, okay. Now I'm with you, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really nice to be able to listen to people and not get offended. Um, I'm, I always get shocked at when people get so offended over shit. I'm like, why? Well, why? I mean, I do get offended. Right. But, um, I'll, I'll be like, I find that offensive and this is like, why, but I won't like talk over you and, and tell you that like the conversation's over. Or I'll just be like, listen, when you, um, when you make a joke about black people, I find it offensive. Like, you know, it's, I, there's, there's limits, right. Um, I'm not just going to be like, so less I fair, I'm going to put my foot down, but I'm not going right. to cry. Yeah. Or cut a conversation short necessarily. I think, yeah. I just don't want to make it seem like I don't get offended because then I feel like that's also a flaw, right? <laughs> I think you need to be able to get offended like to a reasonable extent. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. And that's what I mean too, man. You know, like, yeah, it's uh, one of those, um, God, what was it? Um, when you were talking about like good and bad and like what I was thinking about relativism, which apparently was wrong, but just like, where is the line, right? Like, what is that line? And, um, I don't, I remember hearing some people when, uh, with gay marriage and it was like, okay, well, how come it's wrong that two people like, well then why are we drawing the line at two? How come it's not three? How come it's not five? How come it's not animals? How come it's yeah. only related to a particular gender or a particular species or a particular number? Like, why can't it just keep going? Who's to define the line that takes it from okay to not okay? And there's, there's philosophies on it, but yeah, no, I agree. I haven't yeah. find like a, well, the offensive like a, line is what I'm thinking of. Like what is like, everyone has that offensive line. It's like porn, right? Like what's the difference between art and porn? Like you can't describe it, but you know, it when you see it kind of a thing, like, okay. I just feel, is there a, I mean, porn is like a, it's filming, right? So it's like a form of art. I think it's all art. No, it's just like, like sometimes it's weird art, but well, no. Yeah. <laughs> but, know. but so then you go to the, like, I don't know. I don't want to get too deep into it, but then like, no, it's just a saying, I don't want to, um, yeah, I don't want to bring that up, but I've, I've heard, <laughs> I'm just like thinking out loud. My mind goes, and sometimes I'll ramble. Cause I'm almost like, I think a little bit like you where I just enjoy that thought exercise of talking about it, but then yeah. you also don't want to say some stupid shit. Um, so I'm a teacher and I sometimes get worried, like someone might listen. And then all of a sudden they're like, what do you do? Reading, I'm an English or a reading specialist. Um, okay. Yeah, but I love thought conversations. So I just don't know as a government employee how much like you can publicly, it would be like posting shit on Facebook and then could I get in trouble or fired? I haven't read all the contract pages in our union. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's, it's um, and I, I know teachers who have um, gotten fired for posting things that were misinterpreted. Yeah, or exactly. And um, Lord help you if you're like an administrator, because then, you know, you have like school board stuff. So teachers are typically pretty safe, but I get worried about um, some, it's part of why I have like the getting to know you shtick. This way I'm not putting myself out there as much, so it can't be used against me. 
Um, right. Um, and then also you're not necessarily condoning anything that um, we say or exactly. it or whatever. Exactly. exactly. Um, but I would, I would say like, so I'm kind of a teacher too, in a sense, because I, I run a, a small tutoring company. Uh, I, I mean, I do run it myself. It's my own small business. So because I'm in charge of myself, I can decide what's okay to keep my job and what's not right. like I can do whatever I want. Fire. But by the same token, I'm working with minors, right? And so I had to like consider the fact that like everyone's going to see my butt. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd be able to get a job at like a school anymore and that's out there. But look, I, I really, I, I don't like, because people are like, don't you find it pornographic? And I'm like, I personally don't. Um, I think that butts are butts. And uh, if it weren't blurred, though, I'll tell you, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, well, but, the, at least in America, like, like my daughter saw your butt. I saw your butt. Your butt's not blurred. Um, and but like, it's not weird. It's just like a butt. Like, I don't know. Everyone has one. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, I didn't think about that. Jesus. So like you could have like some 15 year old boy just going mm-hmm. through his hormones, like walking in with, so in our school, the kids have iPads and I could just see them. If like, they all hated you, they would just put your naked and afraid, butt like as their screensaver. <laughs> Yeah, and just like could. doing just juvenile shit like that, and like the school being like, we can't deal with this. Sorry, you're gone. <laughs> oh yeah, they totally could. So I I do get screenshots of my butt sent to me from old men. That is a thing that happens. Are you fucking kidding me? Like in yeah, like yeah, no, in, in like you get like, actualized. So I get a lot of men um, who uh, upon researched if I so I looked at the countries that these people are coming from, and a lot of them match up to countries that um, are sexually oppressed like there's like uh it's i think like one i I don't remember which country it was but one of them had like a ban on porn and i was like well now i know why he's messaging me like this is Uh, this is probably what he's able to access from his computer um and they're really confused like some of them i think it's a language barrier too but some of them literally think it's porn what are the what are the mess do you think they're using like google translate or like do they hit you with the like what's up girl or hey man you want to get a plane ticket what are they um (laughs) A lot of them are in a different language, actually, and I use Google Translate to see what it says, and it doesn't even make sense, probably, because I'm using Google Translate, but it's just like, hey, beautiful video, beautiful girl, send more videos, send uncensored version. It's like something along those lines. Um, And then, like, when you try and, like, communicate with these people, like, there's the language barrier, and it's not worth it. Wait, you try to communicate with them? I do, because I, like, it's like a self-harm thing. Like, I just, like... (laughs) um, like, I don't know why I try, but it's, it's not worth it. Um, I, I think what I usually just say is I send them a link to the video and just be like, sorry, this is all I can help you with. Uh, there's nothing more that I can do for you guys. This is the video. Please enjoy it. Do whatever you want with it. And uh, if they keep bothering me, I can't really do much after that. I just stop answering. See, I think like I would be the dude, I'm just going to like send them like random dick pics in response <laughs> yeah just, so you so i've done that jerk, like i've told you know. some of these guys before and like they actually get like it's funny at first but then they get like emotionally attached to you in some sort of minor um, way and then they like they they really keep the conversation going and then it's like you're basically trolling them when they're asking you how your day is going which uh-huh. is like feels weird <laughs> Right. Like it's one thing to troll a guy when he's asking you for like a naked pic, but then it's another thing being like, so what kind of job do you do? And then like, ah, this is weird. So I, I don't want to have these conversations with these people because they're inappropriate. And so I just leave them. Gotcha. Dude, I hadn't even thought about that, but Jesus, that's man. So much I hadn't thought of, but yeah, just fucking yeah. random dudes DMing and fucking trying to creep. God, that's, 
That's glorious. Different languages. Well, I, I uh, am now part of a, it's like a private Facebook group for the Naked and Afraid cast. And so I have like a ton of extra friends now um, and people who I've grown close to without having met who have also been on the show. And it's really, really refreshing and fun to like look at their episodes and be like, so what was that really like? Like, is there more to that story than what they showed? You know, and there always Mm. is, right? Because it's it's limited time. Um, And uh, yeah, I just, so I remember when I did my cast, uh, sorry, my viewing date, basically it was happening during quarantine. uh, But otherwise people asked me to do a viewing party and I really didn't want to because I've been on TV once before. Um, and they really twist things that you say out of context, depending on the show. Okay. Um, in Naked and Afraid, I don't really feel like that was the case with me, but I do feel like there was more to it, obviously. But again, that's to be expected. So it was actually quite well done. But um, I was really just like nervous that something might be taken out of context. And I didn't want to have to feel like I had to justify myself in front of people who didn't understand what the experience was like because they weren't there. Right. Uh, and I kind of just wanted to cringe and scream alone. And... Uh, <laughs> Luckily, I was able to do that because of quarantine, and I FaceTimed another cast member who wasn't on my episode. He was on a different episode, and we talked every commercial break, and it was so nice to have him just, like, having him cringe with me and screaming and being like, was that real, like, uh, or was there more to it? Do you have, like, background info? Um, Whereas, like, someone who wasn't on the show wouldn't be asking those exact questions, and he knew what to ask to make me feel like I felt understood. Gotcha. That was really sweet. Shout out. Nice. Yeah. So, so do is that like a thing or like do the guys and I just because I'm it, it's so funny to me that people would take naked and afraid and try to like send pictures to get more. Is that like common within the group? What do you mean? Like within the naked and afraid group or within yeah. just No, yeah, within the naked and afraid group. Like y'all like pass around these messages and laugh at people kind of a thing? Or or is it like kind of just you? That is the no, but we, we all get messages like this. Um, I think that sometimes someone will post like a weird one onto the group. Uh, but usually I find that uh, it's more like, it's not that common that someone will post like a funny message that they get on the group. Sometimes, yes, but it's more common that like we'll send them to each other privately, like if gotcha. we're friends. And we'll be yeah. like, look at this. And we do that all the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it, it's weird, right? Because it's not like you're, so when you go on Naked and Afraid, you don't really get famous. Like you, you can if you go on it multiple times. Right. Um, but you just kind of get like attention. Um, but it's enough attention that you can truly read every single message. <laughs> so that makes things interesting because uh you're still at a point in your uh i don't want to call it fame but in like your publicity where like you feel inclined to respond to these things i mean at least i do yeah well it worked out for me so appreciate it (laughs) oh of course yeah no i i love talking about it and i want to i want people to know like the behind the scenes of yeah of what it's like to be on on tv and like particularly that naked and afraid was a positive experience for me overall i would say um Better, better than being on TV before with a lion attack. One of one of the best ones. So, so yeah. Anyways, um, I I gotta go to work soon. <laughs> Can I? Yeah, right. I'm, I was thinking, man. We uh went long. So let's do this. This is how I end the pot. And I guess I lied to you at first. Um, and I didn't think about it. So it wasn't an intentional lie. So I don't know if that is good or bad. But now I feel like I'm a promise breaker almost. Um, I do have one little section that I end the podcast with. Gotcha. And it is. Let me get your best first for last. We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. My best first for last. Okay, so like something that I did for the first time. 
Nailed it, dude. Mia, I'm trying to think. I think that my best first would be uh, getting naked in an inappropriate situation while everyone had a straight face and (laughs) not having them react to it. Like I almost wanted them to be like shocked so that things would make more sense, but they were just stone faced, which was kind of nightmarish and grotesque. So (laughs) that would probably be um, the first. And then, uh, yeah, first I'm getting ticks pulled out of my ass. I feel like I gave you the two the two best ones. Ready. Oh man. Is there a non-naked and afraid first? First time being on a reality TV show, that's for sure. Um Were you on one before Naked and Afraid? Yeah, I was on like a little docu-series called I Was Prey. But it's not a it's it's more of like an interview show where they like spend the episode talking about your experience and you're being interviewed, but it's not a challenge. Got you. And what was that like then? If you want to use uh, that one. Yeah, that was that was nice. It's just that it was only a day of filming. So um they flew me out to New York and I did a day of filming and then I mean it took it took all day, but then it was it was over and uh it was so that was like a little bit less of an experience in terms of time. Uh it was quite enjoyable and fun, but it was definitely different because it wasn't a challenge. This was my first like challenge that I've ever truly done and I'm so shocked that I completed it like that blows my mind personally like I can't believe it um so I mean good for me I guess I didn't think that that would happen I was going to be totally fine if I left on day eight being like I tried my best but you know me trying my best been 21 days who knew right yeah well dude I mean that's I don't know I, I I wonder where people fall on that whether they actually like have that real strong belief or whether it really is much more doubt where they're like fuck I don't know man but let's find out Versus like, yeah, oh, I think I a lot of people told me that my doubt was a hindrance and that I was too pessimistic. But I think that in my case, I was able to harness it well and that my doubt was just a reason to be grateful because when I would overcome that doubt every day, I felt more gratitude as opposed to having the doubt kind of bog me down. It was more like the doubt made me think like, I shouldn't be here, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to try. That was kind of the attitude. Gotcha. All right. So, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, you definitely did give 40 different first stories so yeah the well might have well might have run dry yeah (laughs) well and i felt like i'm fucking up your name now like laura right lauren lauren no so how was i initially when you started getting into the vow thing i felt like i was like no i'm not saying lauren right no it's just lauren yeah Uh, because we were breaking it down right it was like lauren or lore yeah all right so all right cool then i didn't fuck that up because um somebody i forget who it was i called him like the wrong name twice and it was like no man i'm not i'm not justin my name's paul and i'm like what what the the fuck are we 30 minutes in and i've been doing this yeah (laughs) so anyway lauren thank you so much for your time and i really appreciate it it was um great getting to know you and uh yeah man just thanks thanks for the insights it was fun yeah thank you for the conversation it was a lot of fun All right, man. Enjoy work. Keep changing lives. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Thanks to Lauren for coming on the show and sharing about her. Jesus, like calling experiences is almost like undervaluing them. I, I, I can't get over the fucking courage and bravery to go back to a place, um, after being attacked. That's, that's just fucking amazing to me. <laughs> um, thanks to andrepsyche.com pivot for sponsoring today's episode. Make sure you go visit andrepsyche.com 
spend a little time down a dope-ass rabbit hole. And if you, yes, you, you, the one listening to these words right now, or anyone you know has some great stories, some great life experiences, and don't mind my nosy ass asking some questions, um, just message us. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, getting to know you pod um, about coming on. We'd love to get to know you. Later. <laughs>